Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Ready for an amazing deal? BreezeLine's fiber-powered internet starting at $19.99 per month offers the reliability you deserve and security you can trust. Whether you're streaming, gaming, or working from home, we've got all your needs covered with speeds up to 1 gig and our two-year price lock guarantee. This deal gets even better with two free months of internet, free equipment, and free Wi-Fi your way to protect against cyber threats. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires July 8, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? How are you? Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks. Hi, hi. So exciting news. We're getting some, what do we call it? Advertising, not, right? Not products. Not products. <laughs> uh, but we are going to get some advertising. And in order to help us out, it would be awesome if you could click the link uh, in the description of this episode. Fill out a little survey so we know what we so we know what you want, uh, so the advertisements uh, can actually be worthwhile and not drive you completely insane. And the information is confidential. We don't take emails or names or anything. You're not going to get on any kind of weird list or anything like that. Yep. It just helps us out. Awesome. Thank you all so much. Hail yourselves and enjoy this episode. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Oh, Mark. Uh-oh. Hi. Oh, I'm so glad you decided to come back to the club. I was so rude the last time. It's okay. I like it here. Oh, so rude. It's nice. Did you have some ganoles? I had a lot of ganoles. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, who is this huge compatriot of yours, Mr. Marcus? It's Ben. Oh, he decided to bring in this Gavone in here without an introduction. What the hell's a Gavone? <laughs> you. It's something like you. Uh. Okay, if you want to be in the club, it's nice to have you both again here. Let me see them feet. Oh, my God. All right. We can't go down I'm that. just a lonely godfather. Well, I understand. All right. This is the last podcast on the left, everyone. I I'm am... a lonely godfather. I am the lonely godfather, but I don't know why you want to look at our feet. I have horrible toes. Horrible toes. One thing I can tell is that you got big feet knuckles. Yeah. And if you could just imagine putting little nipples in each one of them, it's like you got two and one breast, two pairs and, and one singular breast. You want to put a nipple on my toes. <laughs> yeah, I know my toes look like they can hold a baseball bat, but we don't have to put nipples on everything. I am Ben Kitzel with odd-looking toes and Marcus Parks, normal-looking toes, odd-looking hands. Oh, very much so. And then we have uh, Henry Zabrowski just picks pick something, and most likely it's odd. <laughs> I've never seen your feet. No, I never show my feet. I huh. never show my legs. I've, I just started showing my arms here in my year of 37 <laughs> um, because I really found I found my own inner brave, hmm. and that's what I'm doing. Yeah, I've seen your legs. They are I mean, they are as expected. They are large, but it's not a b- bad. It's not a significant thing. You don't look like you have elephantitis. You don't right. look like the 600-pound man. You just got big ankles. You got big, you got a lot of meat. Yeah, and, and a lot of varicose veins, <laughs> which is always normal for a healthy boy. <laughs> but I've not seen your feet. No, you're never going to see them. I really want to see them now. You're never going to see them. I had a toe surgery to get out of playing football. We're not going to go into it. <laughs> 
Oh, right. did you? What? No, did we're you? Not going into it. <laughs> we got a lot to get to today. We're on Richard Kuklinski Part Three. A lot of things are happening, and they're all disgusting. Oh yeah. So by the mid seventies, Richard Starr was on the rise in the mafia contract killing world, and his reluctant buddy Roy DeMeo was on his way to becoming something even more than that. Mm. However, Richard was still planning on killing him. As if the pistol hmm. weapon when they first met wasn't bad enough, DeMeo had also pulled an Uzi on Richard in front of the guys, then followed it up with the age-old I'm-only-fucking-with-you routine employed by dickheads the world round. Uh. But his was particularly insane because you had all of the psychopaths of the murder machine at a table they invited richie over which they never do because richie does not mix well and so they're having a spaghetti they're having some garlic bread <laughs> right. they're having some ragout and then all of a sudden it's and it's like fucking um from the untouchables and i think he did it because of the movie untouchables or i don't know if it happened before or after but roy DeMeo goes to a pallet opens up and he pulls out this uzi and he's just like Hey guys, check out my nose. It's nice. Oh, oy, oy, oy. and he puts it down by his his crotch and starts humping everyone's. Just like, oh, <laughs> good one, go on, Roy. And then he's like, he clicks it and he puts it in Richie's face. He's like, what are you gonna do about it, Richie? We think maybe you've been talking, Richie. Hmm. And everyone's the the room goes silent, and then he goes. Just fucking with you, and they're like, ha, 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 ha. go on, Roy, go on. Yeah, and Richie. Gets very upset. <laughs> I could imagine. I I could see the bit working if Steve Martin did it right after he had the fake arrow through his head, right after he does King Tut, then go get the Uzi and be like, you're laughing at me? You're laughing at me? Then perhaps it could work out. Yeah, because he's just a wild and crazy guy. He's a wild and crazy guy. And now he has an Uzi. That's kind of fun. If he opens his new master class on comedy, which, yes. every, which we should take. Oh I'm actually God, kind of upset that we didn't even, we were even doing this I, I episode we without didn't, do we it. not go to clown college? <laughs> oh, man. It's clown culage. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Richard still needed DeMeo, and events were about to transpire that would make Roy that much harder to kill. Ooh. In 1976, mob boss Carlo Gambino died of natural causes. <gasps> oh. So, he, so he's not... He didn't find, like, the Green Lantern ring, and that made it more difficult to kill. It's something more of this world. That, okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> because Gambino was a family first guy, he appointed his brother-in-law, Paul Castellano, as his successor before he died. Carlo Gambino was, like, was old school. Yeah. He dressed it like an old Sicilian like peasant and he wore those little flat hats I don't know where those Italian men get those hats mm. that are essentially rags with like sturdy little rings in them and they're always holding them in their hands like they're about to collect porridge from an orphanage <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know catering person like I don't know what the term is I guess chef like you go around and it's like but he always had like a floppy little hat on it was like <sighs> he's like the vision of the actual godfather yeah, right but then he made Paul Castellano who had no business being the godfather yeah the cop with the duty yeah because again and Bino, like he'd built this huge criminal empire. Like it was the one of the most successful organized crime organizations in history. Right. But Paul Castellano was just an absolute fucking moron when it came to the ins and outs of mafia life. Now, how many uh, soup bowl hats did they sell? Was that <laughs> oh, the no, 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 of no, their no, industry? Because no, no, no. when you're a made man, they are given. Oh. It is a privilege to have the soup bowl hat <laughs> because only a soup bowl hat can both be a handkerchief. 
in order to wipe up blood or spit that comes from a godfather's mouth or the thing to wipe up extra sauce. I love it. Make sure you finish the soup before you wear it as a hat. <laughs> that will get that will be messy. That would be the living end. <laughs> Well, here's just a couple of Paul Castellano's fuck-ups. First, he held mandatory weekly meetings at a place in Bensonhurst called the Veterans and Friends Social Club, which is now the parking lot of an Outback Steakhouse. Because of this, the FBI was able to track each and every Gambino family lieutenant. They were all in one place every week at the same time. So all the FBI had to do is just sit and look, see who was coming in and who was coming out. And so before long, they had this whole list of all the people involved in this criminal enterprise. I mean, to be fair, the cops could have also just gone to a New York Jets bar every single <laughs> Sunday when the Jets are played, and they nine out of ten part of the family. Did you get? Do you guys remember back in uh, 2011? This was very similar mm. to something that happened back then. Remember that place over on uh, Graham Avenue, Graham Avenue Meats and Delis, that had that awesome fucking Godfather sandwich. Mm-hmm. Except for every time you ate it, you did get food poisoning. Yes, yes. but yes. it tasted fantastic. Yes. yes. About back in 2011, that place got raided. Mm-hmm. because it was run by a guy that was part of the Bonanno family and that dude had a Rolodex with the name, address, phone number, right. job, and alias of every mob guy <laughs> left in New York City. And a couple of sandwich <laughs> recipes. Don't forget about that. I actually got a sandwich from there one time and I was too f- afraid to tell him, like, could you please put on gloves? He had just received money from another patron. Mm-hmm. Just went right into the meats and I was like, I'm gonna get sick. I still ate it. Hence the food poisoning. I remember the guy. I did the same thing. I got the Godfather because you'd read about it. I was like, oh my god, it's a it's a sandwich. It is six inches wide. It was wide. huge. Yeah. It was so good. I got him crazy sick after eating it. <laughs> yeah. The guy literally was just like, hey, let me guess. You want a Godfather? And I was like, yeah, man. He's like, okay. <coughs> Coughed into his hands, then rubbed it into his hair that was filled with grease, and then made the sandwich. And the whole time I'm like, New York, huh? Yeah, I was like, Only in New York. Very authentic. <laughs> yeah, right down the street from the blue stove where I used to work, which was also a former mob hangout, which was across the street from the printer and fax machine that was still somehow, quote unquote, in business up until like 2015. And uh, Swish. Swish, 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 quotation marks in business. I heard that Kuklinski killed somebody on Graham Avenue as well. I guarantee you he did yes. at one point. And yeah. it's also near a great store called The Meat Hook if you are in the meat, if you, they're big fans of the show and they were oh. wonderful steaks. Oh, so wonderful. Check out Seriously, The Meat Hook's a fan of the show? Yeah, big fan. Go get some steaks. <laughs> I will, I will, good Lord. <laughs> Well, the other mistake that Paul Castellano made was that he refused to sweep his house for bugs. So the FBI had pretty much an ear in every room in his house. Mm. They heard everything, including the illicit affair he had with his housekeeper. Uh Uh-oh. Mr. Castellano, it's so nice to work for you again. Yes, I couldn't help but notice my cannoli needs to be cleaned. (laughs) Oh, ah, yes. The cannoli is very filled with dust, isn't it, Mr. Castellano? Yes. Much dusty it is. Much dusty it needs not to be. I don't know. I don't like this mafia romance going on here. 
<laughs> well, the audio of that particular tryst got leaked to the papers, and the mafia was humiliated. And there's nothing these big, fat, dumb losers of the mafia hate more than to be humiliated. Yeah. Yeah. They get really, really upset, and he's too proud. These guys, I'm so sick of mafia guys. Now at the end of this, where it's like, you're all too proud to check your house for bugs. Don't be proud. Get the job done. Yeah, yeah. get a Roomba on that, I would say. <laughs> What's the name of this dusty uh, or, or dirty dong does wrong? What I don't want to hear <laughs> about a mafia affair. I just don't want to hear about it. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I could hear about that affair because you picture Arnold. I mean, he's yeah. very attractive. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're like, okay, I can, I can visualize this. But a mafia guy, yeah. Paul, my forks everywhere. I mean, <laughs> it, it doesn't sound fun. Mafia sex, I imagine a capo's sex is about four minutes long tops it's like Oi, uh, 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 go on. and then that's it <laughs> i suppose so short book and those are just the big fuck-ups that paul castellano and in, involved himself in okay w- one of the smaller ones was given one of the biggest psychopaths in his organization what he'd wanted since he was a child Uh-oh. he made roy de mayo a made man And now I'd like to give the audience a preview of what it's like to have been in Bensonhurst in 1977. This is a reading from The Iceman by Philip Carlo. It was the spring of 1977, a time of rebirth and renewal, the end of the bitterly cold East Coast winter. All over Bensonhurst's quiet, tree-lined streets and avenues, this unassuming place with the world's greatest concentration of serial murderers. Green leaves and grass on small lawns returned. Birds chirped, flowers bloomed, the sun shone, kids returned to the streets and played boisterous games of stickball with cut-down broomsticks, Johnny on the Pony, and Cork Cork Ring of Alevio. Young girls jumped rope. Except for the mob robouts that occasionally occurred there, Bensonhurst was a safe place. A good place to bring up children. Okay for women and girls to walk about without worry. And for the male, this was like receiving a doctorate after a lifetime of earnest study. It was the highlight of his life. What he had always wanted, a dream come true. As is the mandated custom, word went out to every made man and all the families that Roy DeMeo was being straightened out. If anyone knew something about DeMeo that was reason for him not to be made, they had to speak up and let the Gambino people know. No one spoke against DeMeo's induction. But back at the Gemini Lounge that evening, there was another celebration. All DeMeo's people were there. Bottles of expensive champagne were opened and numerous toasts were made. Glistening piles of cocaine were on the kitchen table for anyone who wanted to partake. Some loose women were brought in to entertain, put on a cunnilingus show, perform virtuoso blowjobs. <laughs> AIDS was not an issue yet, and the women happily swallowed all. Roy considered oh, himself quite the ladies' man, did not get along with his wife, was always horny. And tonight he got a doubleheader. Two women sucking and licking his penis and testicles at the same time. A double suck, as the crew called it. Life was good. <laughs> wow. That is that is like Norman Rockwell meets uh, a film by Toby Hooper with a little Scorsese and I guess a little bit of that Playboy guy in there. What's his name? Hugh Hefner. Hugh Hefner, of My course. My goodness. Yeah. That is... Virtuoso blowjob is definitely a creation of Philip Carlo. Yeah, yes. for sure. This is, Mounds of I cocaine. don't know what any of this shit is. Because you also imagine Roy DeMeo, because at this point, it's funny to call him DeMeo, you know, and they put the word mayo in there and they're all laughing about it. Sure. And then um, 
Can you just imagine all the mobsters? Because you know how it is. The two girls come out and then they just go silent. Watching your boss get his dick sucked and his balls licked by these two women that you just do as Barbara and Raya down from the paperclip factory. I don't know where you find yeah, these Yeah, I don't women. know. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, I guess a strange day at the office. <laughs> well, the reason why making Roy DeMeo made man was such a bad idea was because DeMeo and his crew of killers were starting to fall apart. Hmm. The murder machines had been killing almost indiscriminately, sometimes two people a day, and it was all fueled by cocaine oh my goodness but erratic as they were their actions particularly the shark incident we mentioned at the end of the last episode mm. were an inspiration to richard kuklinski disposal had always been a problem for richard so he decided to work smarter not harder and i found out the name of the book i was talking about last time i had many people tell me it's called what color is your parachute ah and i was reading it about business matters right about how richard learned about how to do business right and the book doesn't really say anything about parachutes which is confusing <laughs> right but i think that if he had a color parachute at this point it would be brown <laughs> yeah it could be so he's like remember that scene in the in the first batman film adam west he's got the bomb mm -hmm, he's and running. he doesn't know what to do with there's it there's a nun there there's oh a my nun God, there's can't puppies. throw it at the nun although the recent catholic church scandals i say maybe just throw it at her that's a whole other story yeah kill the nun kill the nun kill the nun but then he kill saw the, the ducks always kill the nun but, but kuklinski was doing that with a human head yeah he was just like running around and be like oh, i can't throw it at the ducks oh, i like guys oh, oh. okay so, Richard started looking into the one assassin's tool that he hadn't tried yet. Poison. Oh. See, if poison is done just right, it can be indistinguishable from a heart attack, unless the coroner knows to specifically look for poison. Ooh. So, Richard casually asked his friend, Phil Solomene, if he had a hookup. Turned out, Phil did, in the form of a fat little pharmacist named Paul Hoffman. And the poison Hoffman had in spades. Let me guess. He goes there, Paul Hoffman hands him the Godfather sandwich <laughs> from Graham Avenue Deli. He's like, have him eat this, they will die within three hours. He eats this in three hours from now, your friend of, uh, of a certain name will be swimming with the dookies. <laughs> Cyanide. Oh, cyanide. Oh. All right. And it seemed like Phil was a sociopath on the level with all the rest of them because he actually sat down with Richard and showed him the exact amounts to use to find that middle ground between getting away with murder and alarm raising overkill. Ooh. All right. I mean, do they go and do they make then, do they make hand turkeys? Like, do they sit and, is this like arts and crafts day at camp where they all sit and they measure out poison? Because I know that they fed some to some animals and he's like, oh, look, you can see how it killed that dog. And Richie's like, this is the best afternoon I've had in a long time. Oh, no. That's crazy. So he's going the, the Kim Jong-un route when, mm -hmm. it, when it came to taking out his brother. Oh, yeah. Now, Richard said one of the first guys to fall victim to his new technique was a Bonanno family lieutenant named Tommy Scavelli, okay. a.k.a. Dapper. Ooh. Ooh. Man, you can tell... When Richard tells this story, like, this is a particularly fun memory for him. Okay. He smiles a lot during the story. He doesn't smile a lot, but he just goes like, huh. <laughs> like, he just like, remembers it. It's a fun time for him. Okay. So Dapper was a paranoid guy, and with good reason, because after all, people were trying to kill him. Seems like it, yeah. So everywhere yeah. he went, there were two bodyguards right by his side. 
everywhere that is except the disco dance floor. Ooh. Yeah, because that would make you gay, <laughs> dancing well, with these guys out there. They just can't keep up with his moves. And that was where Richard would strike. Okay. The setting was Xenon. Xenon was a hip Manhattan disco that was Studio 54's only competition. Oh. Oh, so it was the Hydrox <laughs> of clubs? Ah. Uh, no, there was plenty. I mean, uh, it was Andy Warhol's preferred spot. It was O.J. Simpson's preferred spot. Okay. Remember, Andy oh. Warhol did a painting of O.J. Simpson once, so. Let's you know. not forget that. <laughs> Let's not forget <laughs> it. I don't, I don't I'm, like- I'm actually like. It hurts my mind just thinking about the two of them hanging out. Together. Oh my god! Yeah, I would go. I would. I would prefer this place too. I'm, I'm not a Studio 54 guy. No, because I can just see them rejecting me. Oh, yeah. I can see me walking up, no. them laughing at me publicly, and then a bunch of models, that are both male and female, looking at me and poking at my stomach and saying, "Good work on losing all the weight. Now get out of here. You're still fat." No, Kissel, you're actually you're thinking negatively about it. It's opposite. If you went to Studio 54, you would have been you've been you would have been accepted. Why? It would be like go to limelight because they collect all different types of people and you're one kind of person yes that maybe, maybe that me- you would have been known as like the bigfoot but you would have danced all <laughs> night oh, they put me in monster corner and then i don't get anything but uh cheat well i'll take some, I'll take some beers and then you and richard kuklinski are pretty much the same size and they let kuklinski yeah. in but not to studio 54 to xenon but to xenon. xenon was just as good i'd go to xenon <laughs> <laughs> so when Richard went to Xenon to do a little bit of recon, he noticed there were a couple of gay dudes there. Okay. Hmm. And he said no one was paying attention to the gay men. So instead of realizing that he was at a disco in 1978 and nobody there like gave a fuck if the dudes were gay or not, Richard got it in his head that the only reason why people weren't gawking was because people purposely ignore gay men. There's an old Native American saying <laughs> that read about. He who sucks dick, the smoke does not touch. Interesting. All right, so he's got something. So he's got some very Polish uh, mafia he, thoughts yes, going on it is here. A, it is a Polish idea. Okay. So Richard got an idea. Did he like bring mirrors around him? Like maybe they're invisible. If I put a mirror next to them and they don't see themselves, then they're vampires, which are also kind of gay. Okay. His plan was to dress up as his version of a gay person. Oh Although no. Although he is very careful to let you know he's not saying anything bad about gay people whatsoever. This is fucking Bugs Bunny. <laughs> this is what he yes. learned from all those cartoons. This is what he learned. Wow. This is what he learned. Because right. yeah. in his mind, like a 300 pound gay man was unreasonable. Unreasonable. <laughs> it was, it was brother, oh, it does not happen. <laughs> so Richard figured he had to go over the top to really show everyone that he was a gay person. Oh my God. So he walked in on his butt, <laughs> which was very, very, very difficult. difficult. And Richard... That meant pink pants, a canary yellow vest, a big red hat, and platform shoes. (laughs) Man, I want to see this so bad. You can see the scene. It's like you can the doors open. Yeah, you hear Blondie playing over the the like the disco sounds going through. It was a guess. Gonna find out. He comes walking in. Everyone's like, who's that guy? Who's that guy? He's smitten to like in Spider-Man 3, I think, when he's doing the dance sequence. Mm -hmm. 
He's like walking through, spinning around, huge thing. And like, I honestly think there's a part of him that was so free <laughs> uh-huh. this night. <laughs> yeah. That he wished that he could get back to this point, this true happiness. I swear to you, Robocop could have walked in and less people would have paid attention. <laughs> My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. (laughs) Well, according to Richard, it worked. No it one did. was paying attention to him. Oh, really? Yeah, they weren't the- staring at the... <laughs> oh, good Lord. This is amazing. This so- is where we need Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Dahmer was the only one that could have taken him down. So once Richard saw his target, he danced across the floor oh in a manner that he described as swishy <laughs> <laughs> and bumped into the guy. Yeah. And that is when Richard took out the hypodermic needle Ooh. that he'd filled with cyanide and pricked the guy with it. Yeah, he gave him a hot, uh, the hot shot. That's what he Ooh. called it. Dude was dead within minutes, and the final word at the medical examiner's office was that Tony Dapper Scavelli died of a heart attack at the disco. Wow. And with this, Richard discovered efficiency. 
Oh, not not his love of dressing like that? <laughs> I think that he did. And I think, well, he always dressed very extravagantly. He did that when he was younger, too. And so there was a part of him. Richard Kuklinski is full of himself. Yes. There is yeah. a lot of it where he, he has a massive ego. And a part of it has to do with, I think, probably killing close to 100 people. Oh, my goodness. But in that in doing that, like he, he definitely believed he was smarter and better than everybody else. And there's also a part of him that I think that when he put that outfit on, a part of it's like, I make this look good. He did a Rasputin. <laughs> and he knew that like this is what I'm this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm a chameleon. I'm the world's ultimate predator. Right. I could do this and I look good while I do it. <laughs> okay, interesting story. So Richard got into the whole poison game so much that he started checking out books on poison and he'd study them religiously. Hmm. He started putting cyanide in food and drinks, just spilling it on people. And the more hits he pulled off, the more work he got. So he had to do like... Um, like mime work what? to figure. Oh, 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 oh Well, yeah, you remember he went to the improv works. Right. He learned that beforehand when he he created the whole suicide uh, uh, section when he when he made when he faked that guy's suicide. He knows how to set a play. I guess he does improv everywhere. Now, Richard was making so much money that he was able to rent his own office space on Spring and Lafayette really? in Soho. I mean, this is back when, you know, Spring and Lafayette, Soho was a shithole. Right, like, right, It right. wasn't as yeah. nice as it is now. Right. Yeah, because this is like, it's like a block away from where the MoMA store is now. Yes. There was no MoMA store back when Sunset Inc. was in business. Okay. No, it was where the Foot Clan lived. <laughs> Ooh, love them. Yeah, and this was the place where Richard could run his burgeoning business from murder contracts to simple breaking and entering jobs. Hmm. But just because Richard was becoming organized and professional didn't mean that everyone else had. Case in point was a burglary gig Richard had pulled off with a crew of five other guys. The heist itself, which involved a bunch of coins and stamps stolen from the house of a wealthy businessman in Montclair, had gone off without a hitch. Okay. It was only when it came time to split the loot that there was trouble. And it all started with Ralphie the Snake. This isn't even a problem when you hire a man with the name Ralphie the Snake. (laughs) If you read what color is your parachute, you know for a fact that a part of the way you need to set up your career is is about presentation. Mm. And if you want to just, you should probably say... Ralphie, the trustworthy dog, right. as the way you you sell yourself, and then afterwards you could say, but actually my nickname is Ralphie the Snake, and everyone's like, oh, that's why you have all the snake tattoos and none of the dog tattoos. <laughs> yeah, he definitely sounds like that South or the uh, the Simpsons villain. Oh yeah, Snake, Snake. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So when they were talking about like, oh, how do we divide up all of the money? They had a difficult time cutting the coins in half. <laughs> Was that the problem? Well, they were going to no, take a hedge them. Yeah, they got oh. fence them. They got a fence him. You gotta, you gotta take everything to a fence and then you split the take. But okay. Ralphie the Snake, he figured that some of them had taken bigger risks than others. So, because like, for example, like Richard, his job was to like sit, just sit there in case the businessman came back. Yeah, but- and then if the businessman came back, then Richard's job was to kill the businessman. Right. So, technically, Richard didn't do anything. And so Ralphie the Snake figured he should get more money than Richard. Uh-oh. That's not how heists work. No. <laughs> you don't prorate a heist. <laughs> no. All heist it has to be. And that's what Richie was. And this is where I stand with Richie. Yeah. It's six equal cuts. Right. That's how it goes. It has to be equal. Well, everybody. Well, some of the guys thought, yeah, we should get more money. And some of the guys thought uh, we should all get an equal cut. And the thing was that it wasn't necessarily the cut that annoyed Richard. What annoyed Richard was the fact that they were all arguing about it. Yeah. 
It's like when you go out to a bunch of eat with a bunch of your friends, right? And then everyone's going through the fucking uh, the check yeah. and being like, "Well, actually, don't like you it. had two beers and I had one beer," and also being like, "What are we doing here? What is this? Some kind of this is an accounting." Festival? <laughs> All right, no, this is dinner. Everybody just pays. You, you either pay half of it or you don't. Yeah. yeah, well, I think they made a massive mistake on this heist. At no point did they hire Brad Pitt nor George Clooney. <laughs> Everyone knows those are the only two people who can pull this off. Those, no, those two guys were fucking the uh, liabilities. The guy that was the, the key member of that was Jet Li that always should have technically gotten a bitter cut at all the rest of them because he was the only one that could fit into the vault. All right, Jet Li's the snake of the uh, of whatever, <laughs> the Ocean's 8 or whatever. So Richard, instead of showing just an inkling of patience, okay. said that he will go out and get sandwiches for everyone. Hey, I'm going to go get a sandwich. Oh, you guys hey. want a sandwich? Okay. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Richie. Yeah. yeah, sure, Richie. Sure. You've never been nice before. You've been sitting here silently. <laughs> you've basically said three times how you wish you could kill us all. We all thought, you thought that you were being silent about it, but you literally can't think silently. And he's just like, yeah, I guess I'm not really a nice guy all the time, huh? But this time, I will be. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Right. So Richard said that he went out, got a bunch of sandwiches for everyone, uh, and got back in his car and pulled out his rubber gloves, opened up the sandwiches, and just sprinkled a little bit of cyanide on each one. And of course, he learned this by watching Dumb and Dumber, uh, because that is <laughs> yes. they killed their main nemesis, or one of their main nemesis in that. So he took them back in, and everyone's still arguing, they start eating their sandwiches, but one by one, they just start dropping and so when the first person drops how many more bites does the next person take before they drop i think in standard heist mentality you're looking at that guy and you're like one less cut to go around Ooh, this sandwich is really good and then the fourth guy's like these guys must be allergic to ham good work richie and after all of them were dead, Richard cleaned up, took the loot, and left. And then, the next day, he poisoned the insurance agent who turned him on to the job uh, at a bar just for good measure. Because oh, he, wow. it was going to be a half-and-half half split, but Richard's like, ah, I want all of it. So he you know, sprinkled, sprinkled a little bit of cyanide in the guy's beer, and he keeled over at the bar as well. Wow. So he's into it. He is into he's this cyanide poison. He's loving it. Okay. He is loving it. This wow. is his favorite. It's like when you get a, a, a really good new horror shirt and you end up wearing <laughs> it like five days in a row. Right, right. <laughs> now, Richard was, of course, a talented hitman. But that didn't mean he was the only game in town outside of the DeMeo crew. Hmm. Richard was about to meet a kindred spirit named Robert Prongay. Ooh. Robert Prongay is my favorite. Yeah. Now, Robert Prongay is an interesting character because most of what we know about him is from what Richard told us. However, Uh we do know he existed and we do know he was a criminal. And some of what Richard told us about him is concretely backed up by a newspaper article found by the diligent research of the invaluable assistant Annie. And you know for a fact Marcus is telling the truth because he hit Peach is <laughs> yes. the pitch of truth. <laughs> yes. So that is, that is happening. <laughs> and we'll get into all that later. Okay. But what's a little fuzzy are the details. And unfortunately, Richard's story is about all we have to go on concerning that. So Richard said his first meeting with Robert Prongay was nothing more than happenstance. 
Richard was stalking out a hotel on the lookout for a mark when he ran into a shifty-looking little guy with bushy eyebrows in the elevator. Hmm. And the guy gave off Hitman vibes, but Richard brushed it off. <laughs> I love his description. They walk in, because he's casing, because he does this, like... Like, he does this very, like... I'm a nondescript huge man. Right. Just a nondescript huge man who could walk like a cat. <laughs> Walks like a cat everywhere he goes. Like a shadow he moves. And then he sees another guy walk doing the same thing. These bushy eyebrows. Tiny little guy like my size. Walking doing the same shit. And like, nondescript bushy eyebrowed man. <laughs> Just walking through a hallway. Moving like a squirrel. <laughs> Absolutely deft. And quick and agile, moving like a squirrel. And then they go into the elevator together and they, they sniff each other out. They're both like, hmm, rubber shoes, bulky pockets. Hmm. <laughs> Very interesting. So we just brushed that first meeting off, but a couple hours later, they ran into each other again oh. in the hotel bathroom. Uh-oh. And this isn't good. And this led to the most competitive game of swords ever to be played <laughs> Honestly, on this planet Earth. They must have peed for three solid minutes. <laughs> because the way Richard, the way it kind of plays out, right, is that Richard rolls up to the urinal. Bushy eyebrow man comes in next to the urinal. The urinal next to him, right? And they're eyeing each other. He's like, how you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing? You here on business? Yeah. Um, I'm here on business. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit of business, you'd think. Some people go on business for a long time. Some people for a short time. You here for my business? Are you here for my business? Is your business my business? There's lots of different businesses, but I'm not sure if my business and your business is the same. Business is business, and business is good. <laughs> business can be good. As of late, it has been. Sometimes it hasn't been. But today, it's good. So business. Business can be shared. <laughs> good thing they're wearing rubber shoes, because they are pissing all over each other's feet at this point. <laughs> they, are, they are having a long conversation, basically trying to figure out if one's trying to kill the other. Yeah, and wow. trying to see if like, you know they were somehow put on the same job. Like They just kept going back and forth. It was like, you hear from me? You hear from me? No. Good. Oh, my You're God. Not? No. Okay, good. Fine. Good. Good, good luck then. Good. Fine. Fine. So you're not here for, oh, so you're not here for me then. No, no way. I'll never be here for you. Yeah? Yeah, well, if you're here for me, it would be nice to know about it. If a little bit, get a little bit of a pre-warning, if you could possibly give me some, I wouldn't do it if I did, but I don't think you're Mark at all because you're too big. It's a comedy of errors, Hitman style. Turns out they were at the hotel on two completely different jobs. Oh, what? my God. Mondays. <laughs> Wow, all right. And so, so what is this? they said good luck and parted ways. <laughs> yeah, good luck to you and to you, sir. Yeah, there's two and guys in the bar well. just being like, uh, neither, no luck to either of you, please. <laughs> a few days later, though, Richard was sitting in a van outside the same hotel when he heard this noise behind him. Ice cream. <laughs> Wait a second. I'll... Love ice cream. <laughs> so the ice cream man has arrived. So when Richard heard the chimes, he got out of his car and hoofed it to the ice cream truck for a soda. 
who should be sitting there dressed in full Mr. Softy <laughs> regalia but the guy from the bathroom. Get out of here. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, dude. It is like literally like, whoa, this is blowing my mind. Really Have you ever read Carl Jung? Do you know anything about synchronicities? <laughs> yeah, you know I do, buddy. I think we're off to a good start here, friend. Yeah, they got to talking uh-huh. and Mr. Softy is like, hey, my name's Robert Prongay uh, and this is my van. He's like, I use this van for surveillance. And Richard's like, oh my God, that's you so gotta cool. Be kidding me. I swear, like that, this is incredible undercover work. That's awesome. Well, then, ne- cut to next week where he rolls up in the hot dog uh, mobile. So it's Kuklinski in the hot dog mobile and Mr. Softy right there. All he needs is a baseball game. And these two hitmen have just put on a hell of a show for the kids. Honestly, if they that's a great movie, them versus Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> And you get actual Bobby Bonilla to play himself in the movie. It's an action movie. It's like Passenger 57. He'd do it. Well, Robert Prongay was, according to Richard, a former Special Forces soldier who had come to the same conclusion as Richard. He was good at killing, and he liked it. So killing was what he did. And this guy was, he was pretty much a Batman villain. Did he actually have ice cream in the ice cream truck? Did yeah. he have to like stop Some, yes. surveillance yeah. and be like, and here's your ice cream, kid? Sometimes he would sell ice cream to the sons and daughters of his victims, Ooh. like giggling about it. Well, that got, that got more brutal than I thought for him, a guy who dressed <laughs> up as Mr. Softy. The way Richard Kuklinski de- uh, describes him, it was just like, it's like me and Prongay, we had a good time. Uh, he taught me a lot. But Prongay was very, very insane. <laughs> and it's like, for him to say it, right. goes, like, Robert Prongay was like, he had a mustache, long, crazy hair. He worked, he was apparently a demolitions expert, and he did everything out of his, his fucking Mr. Softy ice cream truck, and he lived in a warehouse, and all he did was murder and mayhem. Yeah. Sw- he is, uh, <clears throat> this is, um, this is the evil clown from Twisted Metal. What yeah. the hell's the name of that guy again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. I forget. Uh, Sweet Tooth. Sweet Tooth. This guy's literally Sweet Tooth from Twisted Metal. Yeah, he definitely is, man. Wow. I mean, Richard said that Prongay even had like an authentic death library in his ice cream truck garage. Had like survivalist magazines and like books on murder, how-to books and like explosives and booby traps. But most intriguingly to Richard hmm. were the books on poison. Oh, okay. Also, I have the entire collection of the Calvin and Hobbes. Yeah. Retrospective, if you want them, they're fun to listen to. It takes you back to childhood, Richie. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is go back to childhood. <laughs> Sorry I said it. Yeah. Jeez. Then he slowly puts the drumstick back into his pocket be like, he does not want this then. Oh, so the first time that Richard and Robert had a little play date at Prongay's garage, Richard noticed that Robert had a pretty solid poison collection. Are we talking about like a friendship here? This do yes. we have a do we have a hitman like relationship blossoming? Did we just become best friends? <laughs> I don't know. It's like him and Richie <laughs> hanging out. I believe I don't know if it's true or not. This may be conjecture. I didn't see any evidence of it in any of the documentaries, but I think they had friendship bracelets. <laughs> Get out of here. I believe it. Well, after seeing the poison, Richard, being something of a scientist himself, asked what Robert's preferred method of delivery was. And what Prongay told Richard changed the entire game. Oh, it better not be in the Spider-Man candy, or the Spider-Man uh, ice cream bars. Oh, I love those with the so, awful go- gumball eyeballs. So good. Yeah. yeah, they're just frozen gumballs. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't even eat them. 
<laughs> it was delicious. I like the Ninja Turtle ones as well. Oh, yeah. great. Well, Prange said that he used his poison in a spray, mixing cyanide with dimethyl sulfoxide, or DSMO. DSMO is actually used to penetrate the skin and other membranes without damaging them whatsoever. And when it penetrates the skin, it carries the other compounds throughout the bloodstream. And that made DSMO a perfect delivery system for cyanide. Wow. And that gave Richard his most deadly and efficient tool yet. He's sort of like the character from Upgrade that sneezes on the bartender and then the bartender takes all the... Did you see that? No, not it's yet. It's a great movie. Oh, I want to see it. Yeah, it's not even a ruin. Upgrade's Up- got great, great kills great. in it. So he's uh, upgraded his hitman status here. Yep. They, it's very interesting, their relationship, if it's, I believe it is real. Yeah. I believe of all mm. the stories, because the way he talks about Prange is close to him talking about a crush he had in high school. He <laughs> loved Prange. They got along famously. I also think this shows a pattern that we're going to see later on that would be Richard's demise. Yeah. I think that, weirdly, Richard was always very lonely. Yes. And I think that in many ways... He says that he was the hardened, this hardened criminal, that he did all of this shit for, and he was a lone wolf, and he could trust no one, and he treated everybody at arm's length. I think that what we're looking at is that Richard's actually just an unstable maniac. Mm -hmm. And when he found out Robert Prange was his his friend, like they became friends, he actually does become friends with people. Yeah. But his problem is, is the way he sort of absorbs those feelings with of friendship, where like normally like, you know, like people go through a big thing of like cutting friendships off. Like you see a big like, you know, be like cut all toxic relationships out of your life, like that kind of shit. Right. The way he would do that is fucking kill you. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's the thing. They say lone wolves. Oh, they're so strong. Wolves are pack animals, and they're lonely. And that's why when you ever see a bike club called the Lone Wolves, there's always 30 of them because they still want to be with with friends. Well, Robert and Richie, they were such bosom buddies that Richard actually rented a garage near Prongay's Mr. Softy base just so they could be close enough to, like, trade weapons and tactics and just, like— Hang out. You know, I was um, I was looking at some listings around the area, Richie, and uh, I'd say there's a there's a unavailable killer's warehouse down the street. If you were looking at me, like, actually, it sounds like a great idea. Could, uh, we'd have barbecues together, kill baseball players together, and, like, and eat ice cream and stuff like that. You know, it's just nice, just the idea. People say that it's difficult to make friends after you're thirty. <laughs> <laughs> and they're right, you know. What we have is something special, Richie. <laughs> well, yeah. he found a buddy. Yeah. Uh, even though Prange gave Richard his deadliest tool, hmm. what the media focused on was the body disposal technique that Robert gave to Richard. Okay. And that's the thing, is that this was blown way Way out of proportion. All right. Of course, it always is because they have to figure out how to give him a uh, a nickname. Yeah. Right. So this was a this was a way to hang a hat on him. They sort of called Richie the Ice Man in real life, but mostly mostly they called him the Pollock. Yeah. Or big guy. Right. Yeah. Big Rich. So sometimes Robert and Richard worked on jobs together. And this particular job was an insurance scam concocted by the wife of the Mark. The guy needed to die, but. They needed to give the appearance of him dying much later than he actually did. Hmm. So the future widow had enough time to get the insurance policy in place. Okay. Hey, hey, Robert, you know what we could do? 
So what if we put those like inflatable shoes on him like you saw in Back to the Future 2. Right. Or like future sunglasses so it looks like he died in the future. That's a good You know, Richie, you're dumb, but you're cute. And I like having you around. Yeah, very cool. I got I got some of them sunglasses when I got my Pizza Hut pizza. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. So Robert had an idea. Just freeze the guy. Oh. That way he would disappear, but when the body was found, it would be impossible to know when he actually died. Okay. So Prange killed the guy with the spray, mm-hmm. put him in a meat freezer, and brought him out months later. It's kind of like the way my mom does this thing, where, like, I don't know if your mom does the same thing. It's very, like, I think it's very Italian, uh, but my mom will do stuff like, Oh, I put, um, we had some birthday cake for my birthday in 2015. I put it in the freezer and we open it up. It's perfect. Oh, I know you're visiting so we could defrost the cake and you can have some of it. And I was like, why don't we just get new cake? She's like, I froze it. It's perfectly fine. I mean, like, no, mom, it's not a time machine. A freezer's not a fuck. Like, you can't just put well, it in there and it appears in the other side. Like, totally fine. That's how it works. To some degree, a freezer is a time machine. A little bit. A little. It freezes time. No, it freezes food. Which it happens, which food. was and baked, time, cooked on time a is a constant. It freezes food and it alters the taste of the food. If it's really cold, it's different than if it's really warm. <laughs> Look no, at, yes. no, it makes no time that, is that, different. It doesn't work like that. Time is a little different, though. Well, the scheme works. The widow got the check and it was split three ways between her and the two hitmen. All right. So since it worked so well, Richard figured he'd try it all on his own. He didn't have a freezer. But he may do. Hey, Robbie, you think it's cool if I use your freezer for this little job I got? It's like, honestly, Richie, I'm not just a hitman. I'm also an ice cream salesman. <laughs> and so this stuff has to go somewhere, Richie. I, I'm, I'd love to help you. But right now, I'm pretty extended. All right? Today's last podcast on the left is brought to you by Honey. Now, when you shop online, do you turn into a tab hoarder? I bet you do. You load dozens and dozens of new tabs on your browser. You're looking for a promo code that works, and you just can't find one, but you're afraid to close any of your tabs because you're afraid you're going to miss out on a deal. But before you crash your browser yet again, try Honey. Honey is the free browser add-on that over 9 million people are using every day to save money while they shop online. In just two clicks, you can add Honey to any browser for free, and then you shop like you normally do. Honey scans and tests millions of coupons in the background, and at checkout, Honey automatically applies the best coupon. Time Magazine calls Honey basically free money, and over 9 million people use Honey every day, and together, they've saved millions of dollars. You know, another cool feature of Honey is you can connect it to your Amazon account, you know, I was in the market for some new noise-canceling headphones because we fly a lot and I have to edit on the plane. Uh, so I went to Amazon, found the pair that I liked, and wouldn't you know it, Honey popped up and told me there was another seller that had the same headphones for $26 less. There's no reason not to add Honey to your browser today. It's free, takes just two clicks to install, and it'll save you a ton of money. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com L-A-S-T. That's two words, join Honey.com slash L-A-S-T to start saving money with Honey today. That's joinhoney.com slash L-A-S-T. See, behind Richard's garage was an old well that ran with ice-cold spring water. And that would be the only place the Iceman would ever freeze a body. And he'd only do it once with a guy named Richard Masgay. And this murder is confirmed. So Maske hadn't crossed Richard, but he had annoyed him. Uh Uh-oh. 
See, Maskey had been getting on Richard's ass about getting a load of stolen blank VHS tapes for the purposes of bootlegging pornography. Ah. So, because Maskey wouldn't shut up about it, Richard popped him in the face with a twenty-two while he was taking a dump. That's the worst way to go, man. Uh, That's the saddest way. Not while Richard like, was you know, taking a dump, while Maskey was taking a dump. Oh, yeah. I mean, if yeah. it was when Richard was taking a dump, why is he in there? <laughs> that, that's an invasion of privacy, and he stood his ground. Hey, come here. I just took a 15-inch log. You got to come see. This is crazy. Oh, man. <laughs> he comes in there and just blows his brains up. I am happy that phase of every child's... Or every boy has friends who de- demand yeah. that you look at what they've done in the bathroom. And I'm happy that phase is over because I never liked it. It's, it's disgusting. I, I don't know. The, the urge is still there to want to show someone. It is always there. I don't know why <laughs> it's hardwired into dudes. Every I'm not once sure. in a while, when I'm impressed myself, it takes all my... Yeah. Cheat to not at least document it. <laughs> <laughs> so after Richard shot Maskey, he threw the body down the well, covered the top, poured cement over it, Uh-oh. and left him there for two years. And then he got a phone call that said, seven days. <laughs> Imagine if the ring was just this guy as opposed to the girl. Okay. I could just see him strangling the girl from the ring. She's been like, you're not going to tell me how long I have. <laughs> And when the guy was eventually brought back out, two years later, he was perfectly preserved. Wow. Oh. Now, it's not surprising that Richard and Robert Prongay got along, because it seems like these two dudes were the rabid dog assassins of the mafia world. Right. And that is definitely true, at least in Richard's case. But Richard may have overstated his importance just a little bit. Yes, yes. He definitely Forrest Gumped himself a little bit. He had some story building. I think in the time it took while he was in jail and talking with Philip Carlo about the story, I think that Carlo got really impressed by Richie's stories and that eventually Richie picked up on it and started feeding him bigger and bigger stories because the two of them were making each other feel good. Yeah, and of course he learned that when he took his classes at the uh, ARC Improv Theater. (laughs) Yes, and, and just roll into it. So Richard claimed that he was the one who murdered Bonanno crime boss Carmine Galanti over on Knickerbocker and Jefferson over in Bushwick. Okay. And that restaurant's still there. Really? Uh, Joe's. Yep. Oh. Joe and Mary's. Great. Yep. Richard said he was the man on the inside, uh, one of a three-man hit crew. Hmm. Now, there was a three-man hit crew, but they were later identified. And no one but Kuklinski ever said that he was involved in the hit, and it was never mentioned until Philip Carlo's book. I mean, he's done so many murders. Why even lie about it? And that would, he also lied about the murder of Paul Costellano at Spark Steakhouse over on 46th in Manhattan. Hmm. And that one, Richard said he was part of a crew that all wore big, goofy Russian hats for some reason. <laughs> it is funny. I love when he dresses up. I just want to see this guy's he, closet. Honestly, he is he is a goddamn cartoon character. He's just so Phil. He's a he's a character actor. Yeah. He's a regular Phil Hartman. I yeah. guess so. And well, you know that's very funny. You know, he got a lot of details wrong when he retold the story, hmm. but. It is willfully ignorant to assume that Richard was lying about everything, which some people think he is. There's a lot of proof that Richard was involved in quite a few murders. And while a lot of that proof wouldn't hold up in a court of law, think about O.J. Simpson and Casey Anthony. Just because they're walking the streets doesn't mean they didn't both commit murder. 
Uh, well, I read a book that said if he did it. <laughs> if. And that's a big thing because it's really just we're allowed to think about anything. Right. We're allowed to think about anything. We're allowed to imagine anything. But I think that Richard, uh, he, I think that he had a lot of firsthand knowledge of what it took to kill people. Yeah. He was a contract killer. Again, I think the whole thing comes down to he was not Italian, so he was never on the inside. They kept him out of all of the big things that he could do, that he could be involved in because they needed loyalty that only came from the fake loyalty that you get from joining the mafia. Right. He was Polish. There's only so much he could do. So I think that he he wanted to be in really, really badly. And I think a part, a part of it has got to do with being a part of a family that he could call his own. Mm-hmm. And um, he had such a hard time finding people he could connect to, which is why people join gangs in the first place. I'm just going to push back a little bit on that, Henry. He has a family. <laughs> why just go to, He's got a whole family. He's got daughters. He's got a wife. Oh, and speaking of family, uh, speaking of his family in particular, there was no place on earth that Richard loved more than Disney World. He loved it. He loved it. Him and his family every summer would go to Orlando and they would spend an entire week at the Magic Kingdom. They would be there when the gates open and they would only leave after they were kicked out of the park. And and the entire time, Richard said that he had a bigger smile on his face than any of the kids. Wow. Said it was the only place that he never blew up, he never got angry, he never beat anybody, he never threatened anybody. When they were at Disney World, all was right. I mean, honestly, man, it's a good thing you didn't freak out because Walt Disney Security, you think it's a cute place? Those people are ex-Navy SEALs. (laughs) They will mess you up. Walt Disney Security is not messing around. Also, Richard, I don't know. It's I think it comes down to his level of of, uh, threatening. I do think there was probably like one or two times where he's just like, Hey, Mickey, I'm so glad he is taking pictures with my kids. Oh, this is nice. Yes. Mickey, tell my children that you love them. <laughs> Mickey, why aren't you speaking? I heard a story that there's a 16-year-old boy inside you, Mickey. And then you're not really Mickey. Is that true? Very good. I love it. We, any idea on the favorite Disney ride? Nope, he didn't no. say, but he okay. just, he loved everything. He loved roller coasters. He loved the rides. He loved the teacups. Really? There was nothing about Walt Disney World that he didn't absolutely fucking cherish. A little unnerving. A little unnerving, but all right. Meanwhile, Kuklinski and Prange, they were still getting along like peas and carrots. He's at Disney World. He's got a buddy. This guy is really coming together here. Robert showed Richard how to rig a radio-transmitted grenade under a guy's car for a long-distance killing, and Richard took Prange to meet his rats. Oh. Now listen, Robert, I'm going to have you meet some very important people to me. Uh, People that are close to the family, closer than even you. Richie, I always knew that one day we'd get past the border of our own personalities and really get to know each other, all right? This is my family of a thousand rats. (laughs) (laughs) This is a wonderful family you're raising, Richard. (laughs) Beautiful, healthy, happy rats. Yeah, and Prange was so impressed. He was like, awesome, dude. Awesome, man. This is so fucking cool, man. All right. Well, some some uh, friendships are grown out of the love of music yeah. or movie or maybe D and D. Yeah. Others are uh, serial killing and rats. However, we are technically we're close to this friendship. Actually, we're, we're all very- pretty close to this. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, many people would be disturbed if they found out, like, you know, our mine and yours, Ben, our bonding experience was Cannibal Holocaust. Well, Had they ever a, actually seen Cannibal Holocaust? It's a major feature of film. It was very popular at its time. It's on Netflix, <laughs> for crying out loud. But it's very disturbing. I guess we're, like, one level below that. Yes, if you... Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that story is very funny, where they thought the director actually killed the main character or one of the female leads, and then she had to show up in the courtroom after he was being prosecuted and was like, I'm alive! What a fun day in the courtroom. Room that must have been. <laughs> yes. And then they set him free, thankfully. Well, one thing it's important to remember about Richard, though, is that unlike Prange, Richard wasn't just a simple contract killer. Mm. He had his thumbs in all sorts of criminal pies, but those are some complicated fucking pies. Yes. They are very, they are maze like pies. Yes. And every one of his fingers were up to their knuckles. Just labias deep in these pies. <laughs> and he was a very, um, I, I think this is where we're going to see how things eventually fall apart. Mm. I don't think Richard's got a lot of bandwidth when yeah. it comes to his mental acuity. I think that he was really good at murdering people. But then once he got involved in the business side and really started believing that he was super, super smart, that he, uh, he started fucking up. Yeah. All right. Yeah, supposedly he had a whole, like, cocaine deal going on in Brazil. And he said he went back and forth to Switzerland for, like, five years overseeing a Nigerian currency exchange scam or something. How'd that go? It went great. He was making so much fucking money. Look at that. Yeah. But Meanwhile, his rats are all going to college, (laughs) getting little degrees. I mean, if he was telling the truth about that, then he was making so much money doing that. If he would have just done that, then he would have been great, but... Yeah. He didn't just do that. He did a lot of other shit. So if you want to know about the whole currency exchange scam thing and the Brazilian Coke deal and the Colombians and all that shit, go read Confessions of the Iceman. Go read the Philip Carlo book. Uh, but it's too complicated for us to go into. All right. So instead, let's get into the downfall of Richard Kuklinski. So this was, the, we just covered, this was like the peak of his life. He had his buddy. This is yes, Everything was yes. rolling around. This is the montage scene yeah. in every mafia movie where it's too good to be true. Yes. Okay. I think it's in the Iceman. I think this is the montage scene from the Iceman. He is go. He is, he is doing a lot of contract killing. He's in good with DeMeo. DeMeo got to be a made man. DeMeo's now making a lot more money. And so f- shooting more jobs, Iceman's way. He's hanging out with Prange, his only real friend besides Phil Solomani. Right. It's like, they were more like co-workers, and they kind of spurred each other on. They were the Pippin and Jordan, right? They were like helping each other. Sure. But then you, you, know, you can like update an, that reference at any time. <laughs> I don't like have another Curry one. Or, yeah, they, I, do, I don't yeah. know who those are. Yeah, Solomani, that was like Pippin and Jordan, but his relationship with Prange was more like Pippin and Mary. <sighs> yeah. All right. <laughs> There it is. Oh, and, and so just I, I do cut to them just eating all the you know drumsticks and things like that yeah, after the a kill. Salted pork fun. is particularly good. Mm, yes. Mm. All right. So the good times are not to last. Nope. And it all started with a guy named George Maliban. Now Richard actually liked Maliban for whatever reason, and he wasn't above helping them out in a jam. But when Richard refused to help Maliband out of a jam with Roy DeMeo, Maliband started with the threats. Mm. Why do that with Rich? I wouldn't do Every it. Every time you threaten him, he's just going to fucking kill you. If you know anything about him, don't threaten him. Yeah. Right. And Maliband told Richard that he'd never let anything happen to him because he knew where Richard lived. And he knew where his family lived. Uh, 
I will say that leverage usually works with a person unless that person hates their family. Uh, in which case, he's like, yeah, do you know where they live? Great. Here's the, here's when they're home. As soon as the words left Maliban's mouth, Richard pulled over to the curb, brought out his gun, and shot him five times. All right. Damn. Yeah. yeah. It was oh like, those are one, that's those like kind of stories where it's like, when you think that everything's false, like this is end up being, this is a true story that got connected to him, and he would just pop because you know building and building and building right you just don't want to threaten a polish person not when i'm in a corner polish man's in a corner nothing's as dangerous as a poland polish man in the corner because well, we know. swipe man. i don't i don't know why you're always bringing it to yourself and the polish <laughs> because resilient people strong of brow love edm at a, a bone crushing volume that no other race can handle <laughs> i didn't realize that stereotype well, now Richard had a disposal problem because okay. Maliban was a big boy. He was. Came in at about 300 pounds. Ooh. And despite this, Richard tried going the old 55-gallon drum dumped at the chemical plant route. Can you put a 300-pounder oh, yeah. in a 55-gallon? No, you cannot. Well, oh. Well, I'll amend that. You can if you cut one of the legs off. Sure. Yeah, which that's is what's what Richard to had to do after he spent all night long trying to stuff this big tub of lard into a 55-gallon drum. You know, and even then, when he put the top on, the top didn't fit all the way. And that's how Richard got caught. I would appreciate if you didn't describe my body like that when you're talking to the uh, person who's going to stuff me into a coffin when I'm dead. <laughs> if you just be like, put that, cut the big bastard's legs off. I would just, you know. No, we're going to no, give you Kissel. a coffin that is your size. I promise. Yes. We'll, we'll get not, ready to spend a lot of extra money. We'll do it. We will. We will gladly we do will. it. We will. Yes. Or your urn will be the size of a KFC family dinner bucket, <laughs> if it has to be. <laughs> so Richard... Took the can, took the big canister uh, to the chemical plant, uh, got it out of his van, rolled it down the hill, and then took off. But he didn't stick around to see the drum hit the bottom of the ravine. Uh And when it hit the bottom of the ravine, it hit a rock. When it hit a rock, the top popped out, and so did George Maliban's leg. Ooh. Yes. So So there was a... There's a couple of things here. I think, number one, what we're going to see now is that Richard Kuklinski is advancing in age. A part of it operating the top level that he needed to do for a long time, I th- honestly think that it, can- it comes down to uh, being physically strong enough to be able to do it. I think he was getting tired. I think that uh, he also said that a part of it was a time constriction he put on himself, where he said that he didn't have the time to weld it shut, which he knew he should have, but he didn't do it. So he dumped him out there, and I kind of think that he, at this point, was also very confident, but I, I think that maybe this is the kind of thing where Kessel, I look at you, cardio's really good, right. keeps the heart strong, doing a little bit, even light weights. If you put a couple of little leg weights on your legs, you get strong enough so you can get that hip motion, so if you've got to dump a 300-pound, 55-gallon drum filled with a human body into a ravine, you'll be able to do it. Well, I do have blood clots. Um, so those weigh more, I guess. I don't know. So he should have taped this thing up. He's got to duct tape it at the very least. He should have taped it up. But what actually what doesn't make any sense to me is that, yeah, he was getting older, but this wasn't he had much easier ways of disposing of bodies like this was a huge pain in the ass in every way, like trying to stuff it into a barrel and driving it all the way out and having to cut the leg off like this wasn't mm. easier by any stretch of the imagination. Why didn't he just to use the cliche go back to the well? 
Why didn't he just throw it back in the well? Well, the well. He cemented it shut. Yeah, he'd cemented it shut. Uh, but he also had like abandoned mines. He had the rat cave. The rats would have loved it. The rats would have loved it. And yet he still did this. So this this one's a little. Uh, I don't get this one. Okay. Well, either way, the murder of George Maliban was what put Richard Kuklinski on the radar of law enforcement mm. for the first time. See, George Maliban's brother knew that George had gone to see Richard Kuklinski on the night he died, but nothing came of the investigation. Hmm. They went and they talked to him, but Richard said, I don't know nothing. And he seemed to have gotten away with it, but he was about to do something that would bring everything crashing down. Uh Uh-oh. See, Richard had always wanted his own gang, even after the coming up roses debacle of his youth. (laughs) He knew he'd never be in a mafia family, so he was going to make his own mafia family. And the mafia wouldn't be invited. Just get a bar league baseball team. (laughs) That's what it is. It is a baseball team. It's a fun little... He wanted his own crew. But guess what, man? Some people are not leaders. Yeah. It'd be like if you gave Carl Panzram a team. He was never supposed to have a team. He's a great member of a team. Mm -hmm. You remember the when they revamped, uh, I think it was He-Man, they had the big gorilla in it? Yeah, <laughs> I do remember that. He's a good bruiser. Yeah. He would be wonderful on sort of like uh, D&D. He's the guy that goes in and messes up everybody, and then you have people that are doing, you got to have a healer, right. and then you have somebody who does pyro, to do long range hits. That's what he does, up close and personal. He's never supposed to be the, the he, he can't be a paladin. No. Yes, he's not the <laughs> Professor X of the group here. He's a Wolverine type, perhaps. Yeah, very much. He's absolutely the best he is at what he does. Okay. So Richard put together a B&E crew of four guys, Percy House, Danny Deppner, Gary Smith, and Al Rinky. Oh, Al Rinky even made the cut. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> these were all dudes the Kuklinski had met at Phil Sol- Solomene's base of operations, which they called The Store. Okay. And these dudes were about the biggest group of morons to live the criminal lifestyle. And I think the reason why Richard chose them was because you had to be a goddamn idiot to work with Richard Kuklinski because guys who worked with Richard Kuklinski tended to end up dead with fair frequency. Right. And I think Kuklinski at this point, he wanted to be the smart one, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it kind of yes. cascades down from there. He wanted men that he could easily lead and would not question his authority. Ah. But the problem is, again, is that when you're putting together these teams, right, you you have to understand, I mean, like, everybody's a fucking snitch. Everybody has no morals. One thing about it, so he hated Roy DeMeo. One thing you can say as a pro for Roy DeMeo, quote unquote pro for Roy DeMeo, he kept his fucking team of serial killers together without them fighting and killing each other. Kuklinski always looked at Roy DeMeo, looked down on him being like, I'm the one who should be in the mob. But as soon as he got this group of fucking problem children, they all just shit the bed immediately. I do feel like we're currently living in a world, a macro world of this. Idiot at the top, and then we just see everyone, (laughs) the dumber underlings. Yes. Yeah, and actually, as a way to, you know, further that, one of the main features of really dumb dickheads is their inability to keep their mouths shut. Ah, braggadocious idiots. Okay. (laughs) And these guys were no different. See, Percy House was trying to shake down Phil Solomene for a little bit of cash. And in response... Phil told Percy about both the ice murder of Richard Maskey and the barrel murder of George Maliban, essentially saying, don't fuck with me or Big Rich is going to do the same to you. So these guys are... Don't you are- think it with your... 
Aren't you thinking with your fucking brain, Bill? You don't tell him about Damn it, Big Phil. Rich. The whole point. The fucking Bill. Big Rich is supposed to stay secret. It's supposed right. to stay secret. That's the whole fucking point. You fucking asshole. So these are these are the kind of people that would like live stream their crimes or like show all the loot they stole from a bank on Instagram. Uh-huh. This is the level of dumbness that we're talking about here, right? Well, Percy did take the threat to heart, but he also went and immediately told his crew. And they told their wives Uh, and their girlfriends uh, and their friends. And before Richard knew it, his reputation as a killer was no longer an asset. Oh, my goodness. See, when it came to the higher ups, like it was good for them to know what you were capable of. But when you got underlings knowing all about your bullshit, those guys now have something to trade. And your ass is permanently out in the wind right and they also know it's both to use it against richie and also because then they can do their own dumb shit bragging about there with the great richard kuklinski who's a fucking murderer he chose me and i get to be with richie all the time and you can tell me i'll tell you what it's like hanging out with the ice man guess what real quiet yeah. he's real quiet yeah i'll tell you all about him you know what he likes Big food, oh. and his shoes are big, his hands are big, he's got a big jacket. On me and Richie, we go way back, like eight months. Wow. He's my best friend. Wow. The world's dumbest verbal wildfire. <laughs> and as soon as Richard was exposed even a little, a plucky little cop named Pat Kane entered the scene. I hate this guy. Pat Kane. <laughs> I like him. I like Pat Kane. I don't like Pat Kane. He's Irish, because... that's for sure. What? He's Irish. Yeah. Pat Kane's an Irish last name. Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane. They're all Irish. <laughs> that's how it works. A Kane was the youngest detective at his outpost, and he was having a little bit of trouble establishing himself. Oh. I just don't like the fact, the way they talked about it, he was like, he was a good Catholic boy. And every day he got up and he combed his hair and he put on his suit and everyone knew Patrick Kane. He was a law-abiding man. And there's no way you'd ever get him to shirk his duty as a police officer. And it's like, yeah, good. (laughs) Right. Not all police officers can be fantastic, right? There are other types of police officers, like my father, that did things a little differently. (laughs) You know. Peach schnapps is just part of the job. Everyone has that on their belt. Well, Pat Kane's lucky break came when Al Rinky got arrested on a B&E job oh. and wanted to make a deal. And if Al Rinky got a lesser sentence, the cops would get Danny Deppner, Gary Smith, Percy House, and a guy that Rinky only knew as Big Rich. Ooh. Wait a second. You want to say... Uh, Save a horse, ride a cowboy? Is that same Big Rich? (laughs) What is that band? Big Rich and something. Big and Rich. Big and Rich. Big and Rich. Big and Rich. (laughs) Oh, look at that. And so began a six-year struggle on the part of Pat Kane to take down Richard Kuklinski for good. Oh. See, if Richard hadn't been so intent on these being his guys... He might have just dusted them all immediately and got away scot-free, like he did with the well, dudes in the B&E with the, the old coins and the stamps. Right. Well, he, okay, he started breaking his own rules. Um, that, that was kind of what happened. And I can kind of see this. That's why it's like they even talk about it a little bit in the Iceman, where I do believe it. I do some, I do think that some of the family stuff and, and the shit with Kuklinski trying to be a, like a, a real straight guy and trying to get out of the business. Like that was a kind of thing. I think there was a point where th- that it was true, where Phil really was his friend. And Percy was Phil's 
brother-in-law. And so Phil made a big case saying that this, you got to have these guys. So they were like family. So Richard did the thing where he broke his own rules and said, okay, I'll, I'll stay, I'll stick by your guys, which is mostly just think, I think he was trying to soften his heart. Yeah. I think he got so close to kissing Prange so many times that he knew <laughs> yeah, that somewhere inside of him was like, there was, there was something, there were like feelings. And they said that Barbara knew it the day that he put on, cause Every day for Christmas, he would dress as Santa Claus and give out the presents to the family. Mm. And so when he would go for, in Christmas time this year, she said, she said his hat drooped a little bit more that year. And he sat staring at the floor, thinking about something that made him upset. And that there was something, that maybe there was a crack showing in his exterior. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think he should have dressed as Krampus. That would be more <laughs> appropriate for his lifestyle. We did a great Krampus interview for our Patreon this week as well. So if you get a chance, go listen to that. Well, since Richard hesitated, he didn't get away scot-free. Oh, no. Now, once Al Rinky flipped, cops jumped on Percy House. Once Percy went down, Richard hid Danny Deppner and Gary Smith in a hotel and told him to not move a fucking muscle. Hmm. But Gary wanted to go see his little daughter. So he went and saw his little daughter. Damn it, Gary. What is your fucking (laughs) problem? You just stay in the hotel, Gary. You just do it. I'm just going to be the little advice gremlin that goes around (laughs) to the mob. Well, it's tough to do. So for the cardinal sin of disobeying, Richard gave Gary a cyanide spiked hamburger, then made Danny Deppner finish the job by strangling him with a lamp cord. Okay. And here's another place where I don't really understand Richard's thinking. Instead of disposing of the body, Richard and Danny just stuffed it under the bed and left. Of the, you don't think room service is going to find that? Well, Richard said that I, he did this because there was a security guard out and there were people and such and such. Oh my God. You got a weekend at Bernie's the situation. <laughs> Tie your legs together. There's two of you. Just walk out. Three of you. I think that he was getting tired. Yeah. And he had other shit going on. Because if you do believe he was going back and forth from Zurich, which is what they said he was doing, he also was working on porn distribution. He also was doing his own contract killing. And he was also trying to evade the police doing his own B&E shit. And he knows that I think that he's cracking. And so they dumped him under there. I think him kind of thinking that like, because that's what he said at this point, his he is completely a secret. He doesn't really know who's flipped on him and how many people, how many leaks are starting to come out of the boat. Of, of who he really is to the police. There's a lot. Now I get to mention my favorite product, Flex Seal. <laughs> he needs to do that with his life. Well, it's also possible that like, Richard thought the cops wouldn't be able to connect him with the murder. Uh, mm. And in other circumstances, he would have been right because cops had found the body and had pretty much called it a cold case. But Danny Deppner <clears throat> had told his ex-wife the whole goddamn story. Uh-oh. Oh, Lord. And just as soon as he told her, she went to the cops because she thought, oh, fuck, now I know about this. I might be next. Yeah, that's the thing. You get it off your chest, but you just give the other person the curse, basically. Yeah. And when you're giving it to old Rhonda the carp with a mouth like a zoo, she's going to tell everybody what's going on. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, this wasn't really enough to arrest Richard, but it was among the first entries into a file on Richard Kuklinski that eventually grew so large that the cops in charge of it called it the Manhattan Project. Wow. 
So the more Kane looked into Kuklinski, the more dirty shit he found. Like road rage incidents where Richard had put his fist through car windows and Richard's involvement in the porno game. Okay. And nothing made Patrick Kane more mad than illegal pornography. <laughs> and they said that they knew in him, he would get so mad about it. He hated pornography because he was a good Christian man. And they said, you'd be surprised his character changed. We saw him drinking a little tipple before going into work in the morning. So it's like he's like hand is shaking. He's like, oh, Kuklinski breaking the laws. The book so never upset. said anything about him hating pornography. You're making that up. I see it in his walk. I see it in his eyes. <laughs> it's you look possible. at the pictures of him. I mean, but wasn't the pornography bestiality? <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't know. Some that of it. it. Was, yeah, they didn't look through if his whole it. collection or anything well, like that. I, I, they I just, think I might agree with Kane on this one. They just knew that he was involved in the pornography okay. game. And back then, the pornography game was a very dirty business, unlike today, the, uh, today where it's just, where it's just like clean. so, over, so yeah. above clean. board. It's clean and yes. it's perfect. Well, yes. you know, the vivid, you know, every time we go to L.A., we'll always drive past the, the vivid entertainment building. Building. That's right. And that tells you it's on the up and up. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't appreciate the way you circle it, Marcus, um, but that's fine. I do. That's- I do believe that people should pay for their pornography and help these people. There's a podcast called The Butterfly Fleck that showed what, they, that what Pornhub did to the porn industry, and these people are people and need jobs. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's the Napster of, uh, of pornography. Mm-hmm. But even though Kane was looking into Richard, Richard figured, in his words, that Kane knew there was smoke but didn't know where the fire was. Ooh. And so, Richard felt brazen enough to go ahead and kill Danny Deppner as well. And this is another thing that kind of rankles me a little bit. Uh-oh. See, after the hotel debacle, Richard put Danny Deppner up at his daughter's boyfriend's house. Some kid named what? Richie Peterson. Yes. They put it at little Richie Peterson's house? <laughs> that doesn't seem like, uh, that's not a good idea. It doesn't seem like... Richie Peterson was six foot six. He was a big boy. For some fucking reason... Richard wanted to pull him into the business. Yeah. And I do not know why. I don't know why he wanted him in there. He not wanted to expand, really wanted, I guess. Not even hell? really wanted to pull him into the business. Like, he just trusted him. Like, he took a shine to him. Uh, and I guess it was another, like, family thing where he can treat everybody you know but his family like family. I think that I figured all of this out. Richard Kuklinski is uh, suffering from low T. He got low testosterone somewhere <laughs> along the way. And it's why he ruined it's, it's why everything got ruined. As the men get older, maybe. even the hardest of men will become very soft. Yeah, maybe low T. Maybe low T. <laughs> maybe low T. Maybe. It could be low T. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and for some reason, like, Richard trusted this kid. He trusted him so much that when Richard finally killed Danny with a cyanide-spiked roast beef sandwich followed by a shot to the head, Richard asked Peterson to help him get rid of the body because Richard's back was going bad. Now I'm just thinking about Arby's. I know, big roast beef. Yeah. Big yeah, Montana. I, I do like that. I do like a, I like that roast beef and cheese, man. I really oh, do. Yeah. Like the onion, the onion roll, so good. Ooh, yeah. Now either Carlo fucked up the facts, or Richard had already covered the head, or Richie Peterson was the dumbest motherfucker alive, hmm. but Kuklinski told the kid that Danny had died of an OD. But you know what I think it is too with Richie Peterson? I think number one, he is a fucking moron. Hmm. I think number two, your new girlfriend, Merrick, is she she is sweet as pie and wonderful. What does she know that's secret information about her father? His father, her father, uh, uh, has many bulging pockets and rubber shoes, the signs of a contract killer. Uh, he disappears for hours at a time. The brother at this point, Dwayne, had already found a gigantic pallet of pornography that he had hid in their garage. They already found that. They knew he did a bunch of weird ass shit. I am pretty certain that word had gone around in the neighborhood of what uh, Richard was 
Uh, and I think that uh, it's really difficult to refuse the offer of your girlfriend's father, who is a contract killer, who's also your size, 300 pounds, 40 years older than you, so he's got that old man strength. Mm-hmm. I think that you're just kind of locked in. Sure. I think it comes down to, you're going to help me move this body. He died of falling down the stairs. <laughs> and you see that half his head's missing, and you go like, yeah, sure thing, Merrick's dad. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like if you go and visit your girlfriend's father for the first time, and he wants to take you shooting. Uh, yeah. And then you got to go deer hunting for some reason i understand that yeah yeah and he puts like antlers on a uh, hat on you and he's like yeah. all right kissel <laughs> run huh, run i mean it i said run there's a 24 point buck look everyone look a 24 point buck well following that incident richard got even more reckless his next victim was paul hoffman hmm. his cyanide hookup richard lured in hoffman with a fictional shipment of an ulcer medication called tagamet but when Hoffman showed up with twenty five grand in cash, oh. Richard shot him in the neck and beat him to death with a tire iron. The body then went into a barrel, and Richard drove to Harry's Luncheonette in Hackensack for a roast beef. Oh. Yeah, and for some reason, hmm. Richard decided <laughs> to leave the barrel next to his favorite diner. And he said the damn thing sat there for weeks, and sometimes he'd grab a roast beef and have lunch sitting on the damn thing. Huh. And then one day... It was just gone. All right. I think stink people decided to not ask him questions sometimes. I think he's sitting on top of this barrel, and then every once in a while, he buys two sandwiches, and he's just like, yeah, 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 I got to go feed my friend outside. They're like, Richie, you're funny, but I wish you'd stop murdering near the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too, you know? I yeah. do too. Now, even though this does sound completely unbelievable, yeah. I actually wouldn't be surprised considering how careless Richard was getting about everything. Hmm. Now, I mean, it even could be like some sort of weird berserker mode, but I think actually at this point, I think Richard wanted to get caught. I think he wanted it all to be over. Really? Yeah. I believe this. I, I believe it. I think that he, again, I think it's, it's the sliding aspect of he's getting tired. Yeah. I think that uh, he knows for a fact that what happens is uh, there's a lot of heat coming down, which you're also going to find out because Roy DeMeo is getting a lot of heat, which is his main connection. There's a lot of shit flying around. Uh, and, you know, eventually everyone's got to join the mafia retirement plan, which is becoming a stool pigeon well, for the police. And so well. he will eventually uh, know that he will be in a position like that or someone will flip on him. And it's got to be very uh, it's got to be a lot of pressure. But because he's not a made man, wouldn't it be easier for him to just get out, buy some Hawaiian shirts, go down to Florida? He's got all the money. Just retire. That was what he wanted to do. He, he should have done it. He really. But he thought he didn't have enough money yet because his what he really wanted to do was. Uh, uh, just move out to LA and just to live high off the hog on the pornography business out there. But well, he said he didn't, he thought he didn't have enough money to just do that. Oh my goodness. So after Hoffman came Roy DeMeo, maybe. And DeMeo had spent pretty much the entirety of the 80s fucking up. He'd gotten himself arrested for dealing in stolen cars and he'd gotten his rabbo, Nino Gagi, arrested for a double homicide. Wait, hold on. Are you telling me? Are you telling me someone in the 80s fucked up? I, I am <laughs> yes. like, I cannot believe that. <laughs> yes. It wasn't really his rabbi. Nino Gaji, that was a term that they used for, it was his, um, that was a spiritual quote unquote advisor, yeah. the guy that was the, that sort of brought him into the mob. Yeah, rabbi. Yeah. 
No, I, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. So yeah, if people thought that I meant his actual like Jewish rabbi, I don't think he's Jewish. No, he's <laughs> well. And how does yeah, he have Italian, a rabbi? No, a rabbi is a term like cops have a rabbi, and oh. you know, uh, mafia got criminals have rabbis. Okay, multiple is rabbis. It, it's Gaji. I think it's Gaji. Oh, I thought or it, it could was, be Gaggy. I th- no, I thought it was Gaggy. Yeah, it could be. I don't. <laughs> could be I don't know. It could be Gaggy. I don't know. <laughs> hmm. Uh, in addition to all that, there were rumors that DeMeo had been spending a little too much time with his law professor cousin, Uh-oh. and that it was possible that he was going to flip. So, Richard says this is when he finally had his chance for revenge. So, DeMeo's number one crime was hanging out with someone with a law degree that might be intelligent? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. Good to know. But this whole thing could just be more of Richard's wishful thinking, because there are at least Five suspects for the murder of Roy DeMeo, as Roy DeMeo was found in the open trunk of his car, filled with bullet holes. Now, it could have been Richard, but more likely suspects include Patty Testa, Joseph Testa, Anthony Senta, Paul Castellano, or Nino Gaghi. Oh, my God. Just throw Danny DeVito in there for fun. (laughs) He wanted to be in. If there was a movie, he would have at least auditioned for it. Oh, yeah. Especially for Roy DeMeo. Honestly, Danny DeVito would have been incredible Roy DeMeo. He would have been. Okay. Yeah, I mean... He's still alive, you know. It could happen. (laughs) Well, the point here is that Richard is the long shot. Okay. But either way, Richard said that he had mixed feelings about the death of Roy DeMeo. Oh, that's... Pretty big feelings for him. In the Iceman, basically the way it's bro- broken down is that Roy DeMeo invites him for a private lunch, which always means he's about to fucking, he's going to kill you. Right. Or something. And the way he breaks down his, um, the the passion of that, and then, and then building and building and building where he was like, and then I shot DeMeo five times in his fucking face. And he's like, you wonder whether or not it was just his fantasy. It was. Uh, right. I, I honestly, I, I think it was complete and total fantasy. Oh, right. Now, Richard didn't really need to confess to any more murders than he'd actually committed because he had plenty on his plate at this point. Mm-hmm. Now, Percy House of the B&E crew was still alive and in jail and was looking to make a deal. And as we said earlier, Percy was more protected than Gary Smith or Danny Deppner because Percy was Phil Solomene's brother-in-law. And Phil kept telling Richard, Percy's a stand-up guy, and you got nothing to worry about. Okay. Ooh, but in whoa. fact, there was quite a bit to worry about. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Yes. See, Pat Kane had been talking to Percy, and Percy had given him three murders committed by Kuklinski. Louis Maskey, George Maliban, and Paul Hoffman. Hmm. But still, even with this... Pat Kane couldn't get his commanders to pay Kuklinski any mind. In fact, everyone at Kane Station thought that he was a goddamn idiot for chasing after Kuklinski because there was no consistency in the choice of murder weapon. Oh. But I gotta tell you, I became so disappointed by my associates of the police officers, I switched my taffy flavor from mint to sea salt, and I... <laughs> It, I was almost, I was coming off the rails. I wow. left my shirt unbuttoned one day. I was just like, well, I am falling to pieces. He was, wow. Pat Kane was nowhere near as fastidious as Henry is making him out to be. He actually developed quite a drinking problem from this case. He did. He thinks he's better than my father. Yeah. He thinks he's better than Put my father. Put your butter knife down. <laughs> well, that's the thing about these cases. That before you even think about convincing a jury, 
you got to convince your commanding officer first. Right. And if your commanding officer's not behind you, then you're on your own. That probably doesn't help that he smells like a gin mill every single day. <laughs> and then the commanding officer's got to convince a DA. Yeah. And DA and all you have to work together to build a case because they're definitely not going to go to court unless if it's all going to fall apart. So Kuklinski, who's not a made man, who is not a focus of any sort of investigation, whose name is slowly starting to arrive. At this point, it's not viewed as anything because Kuklinski worked really hard to make sure that nobody knew his fucking name, which is also why in the book Five Families, there his name was originally spelled wrong and then corrected because he was kind of on the outskirts and then all of a sudden it's becoming more and more clear this man is uh, to be honest more than anything a fucking serial killer yeah. well and it's also maybe good that he is polish huh maybe because then the cops say there's it no is. way he could do it so this is, is this is all of your complaining about how they're demeaning the polish people maybe it's uh Maybe it's a good it's thing. It's a blessing. He was. Yeah, maybe it's it is. It's a secret little blessing, isn't yeah, it? And sometimes being Polish is the gift that keeps giving. Like one day I will be the commandant of a Polish Day parade <laughs> and get the certificate that gives you free pierogies for life in Warsaw. Ooh. You just have to get there. Right. Well, the funny thing about the misspellings is that it's not just uh, Kuklinski that got that treatment. Happened with Robert Prange, too. Because when mm. uh, we were looking into Prange's background, we saw everywhere on the internet that, and even in Philip Carlo's book and other books as well, that his name was spelled P R O N G E. Prange. When in reality, it's P R O N G A Y. Prange. Mm. Prange. Prange. I see. Yeah. So that, but that's what. And he found is that it, everyone has actually been spelling these guys th his name wrong. So these guys are shrouded in secrecy. They existed. They're out there. Right. But people just don't know who they are by design. Well, that's one of those, you know, usually you don't like when your name is spelled wrong unless you're a contract killer. Spell it wrong every time. Yeah, Never get it, it right. Up. Yeah. Well, luckily for Pat Kane, though, the bodies were about to start showing up. Uh oh. The first to be discovered was Danny Deppner. His body was being eaten by a buzzard when a dirt biker spotted it. The medical examiner discovered partially digested bits of sandwich in his stomach as well as a shot to the head, which totally matched up with Barbara Deppner's description of the Gary Smith murder, but still, Kane's superiors weren't convinced. And meanwhile, Richard was continuing to run amok. Hmm. He killed one hitchhiker coming off the George Washington Bridge just for giving him the fingers Richard drove by. Uh-oh. And that one actually happened because it's on record that the body was found in that time frame off the George Washington Bridge by a biker. He's going crazy. Well, one thing I don't believe is Richard's claims that he murdered three guys for running a pedophile ring in North Jersey. Uh, no. Yeah, Richard said he discovered this place in the course of doing business with the Swiss. He said he didn't do anything about it the first time he saw it, but eventually he returned, killed every adult in the house, and set like 20 kids free. Oh, so yes. this is a bit of a hero story here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yes. okay. if this actually happened, this would have been the biggest true crime story of the decade. Honestly, it sounds like a Frank Drebin from uh, Police Academy. <laughs> sounds like a Frank Drebin from Naked Gun fantasy story. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Yeah, Richard Kuklinski is not the Polish Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> and I even had any look for good measure, but not a single story exists in the records of anything like this happening. Sure. But one murder that Annie did find was the murder of Robert Prange. Mm. So Richard and Robert were still hanging out a lot, but Prange 
was starting to become a little unhinged. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Just eating all of his own ice cream and stuff. Yeah, dude. He is. He. I. It could be a sugar high. It could literally be his biggest vice. Could be a sugar high. I don't know what drugs he was using, but he was fucking out on a limb. Well, Prange had been having some personal problems, so he asked Richard to kill his wife and son Ugh. for a nominal fee. Listen, all right, this is a big deal for me to even ask you. You know this, Richie. It's like, I know. I know this is big. This is kind of, I didn't think this would come. And he's just like, it's just, it's a lot. All right, now, when it comes down to it, I don't want you to murder them because, um, because like, I hate them or I hate my son or I hate my wife. I don't want that. It's got nothing to do with rage. What's it got to do with then, Robbie? Just once. I want to know what it's like to be free to be me, to let my hair go down from the back of my skull up to the tops of my eyebrows with you, Richie. Let's go to Southern California together. (laughs) You kill my wife and son and we take this ice cream machine all the way to the Pacific Ocean. (laughs) Kind of a love story. Are you seeing what I think you're seeing? (laughs) Yeah, let's kiss. Let's kiss, Richie. Let's kiss until we're sore from it. Come on, buddy. Well, it you're going to nice. be true. You're going to break my heart. And that means I got to kill you before you do, because I'm protecting myself. Oh, look well, story. Well, here's why I believe Richard's claim. The article about Prange's death said he was on trial for the firebombing of his ex-wife's house aggravated assault and terroristic threats towards both his ex-wife and son oh my and that's in addition to trying to run over them with his car did they and he had threatened to kill his teenage son multiple times this was all in the news story Hmm. so while the news story didn't mention anything about him being a contract killer the behavior lines up with the request right thing was about richard though is he had that no women, no children rule. That's correct. So he said no. Mm. But that got Richard to thinking. The prange might kill him for saying no, because saying no was a judgment. And after all, Richard had killed for much less. Yes. I, I, it's never good when contract killers get to thinking. Because it, <laughs> it's never a positive conclusion. Well, and this was a this was hard apparently for for Kuklinski. Yeah, he was afraid of Prange in many ways. Like he was looking at him, but he was also very attracted to Prange. He liked his style. He liked what he did. He liked his flair. The other reason that Richard gave it's like another too good to be true story that you know, like the pedophile ring story, mm. kind of paints Richard as the hero. It's like supposedly Prange was planning to poison a water reservoir with ricin. Because awesome. <laughs> is he Scarecrow? Yeah, what is happening? He's a fucking Batman villain. If Jeez. this is true, I don't know if this is true. Uh, because he'd gotten a job to kill a whole family, and Prange figured that if he poisoned the reservoir, then nobody would know who the actually who the actual target was. It's too good. To, it's so smart. It's stupid. Yeah, <laughs> he's a Batman villain. Yeah, he was incredible. Prange in a full Mister Softy outfit. Just dumping ricin into a reservoir, just being like, I'll kill the whole fucking basketball team. What do I give a shit? Horrifying. He's like tasting the ricin. He's like, mm, oh, hell yeah. And so Richard decided Prange had to go. Mm. Richard said he snuck into Prange's garage as Prange was working on his ice cream truck 
and shot him five times in the back. And Prangay never knew what hit him. Hmm. Well, the thing was is that they said that somehow he defeated Prangay's system because Prangay. I actually kind of believe if anything else is true about Prangay, then I believe that this is also real. He covered his work area in gravel. Ah. So that when he was when he was working on the ice cream truck, he could hear the steps. Yeah, like trying to catch the the ghost. Like trying to catch a ghost by putting talcum powder down. Right. Like trying to see what happens. And like I almost feel like it gets to a point where Prange hears a crunch, 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 crunch. He looks up. He sees Richie. He's got the stub nose out. Prange's like, I see what you're doing here, buddy. And I gotta say, thumbs up. <laughs> Let's give it a go. You're the best of the best. I wouldn't have it be done by anybody else. So kill me, Richie. Woo! Woo! Maybe. Now, the five shots in the back is not exactly what happened. We know this because we've got the story. And I quote from the article. An ice cream vendor who failed to appear at his trial for arson and aggravated assault was found shot to death yesterday in a North Bergen garage. Robert Prongay, 39, was found hanging out of the driver's side door of his ice cream truck with two bullet holes in his chest. Wow. Yeah. So. Died doing what he loves, sitting behind that ice cream truck wheel. It stands to follow Uh that either Richard was mostly telling the truth about Robert Prongay, or Richard remembered a newspaper article from August of 1984 about a violent ice cream man who was shot to death in his truck and incorporated it into his life story almost a decade later. I can't deal with all this. Was it real or not? It was. Now, okay. Prange, that that was real. Okay. Like, Admittedly, like the details don't match up perfectly, but you know, memory, it's a fallible thing, and Richard right. could just be remembering it wrong. It's like, oh, was it five in the back or two in the chest? Uh, I can't fucking remember. And he shot so many people. Yeah. But you know, and that was what we were talking about this when Marcus and I were putting together the episode we were talking a little bit about like because if if Richard made up Prongay why wasn't he just a fucking novelist yeah I mean if he if he made up Prongay and if he made up you know three quarters of the shit or even all of the th- things that you know he said he did then he wasted an amazingly creative mind okay but I don't think he's that smart no, no I don't think so I don't think he's that smart either no so after Richard killed Prongay, he didn't see much of a reason to keep hanging around his garage if his buddy wasn't in the neighborhood anymore. So he moved everything out, including the body of Louis Masgay, who was still frozen in the well. Oh. So Richard dumped it upstate and figured that was that. But the body was found too quickly before it completely defrosted. And when the medical examiner opened up the body, they found parts of them were still frozen. So they knew the murder hadn't happened recently. Because you got to give time for the body to defrost for right. it to look like it only happened a few days before. Sure. So the cops started thinking about that Kuklinski fella that they questioned way back when. And with that, Pat Kane's superiors finally admitted that there was something to this Richard Kuklinski. And Pat saw color for the first time in months. Yeah. <laughs> and he went skipping down, and he went all the way to the malt shop because he knew that it was time to reward himself for a job well done. And he got himself an egg cream, <laughs> vanilla, just to make sure that he could just sit. And he didn't finish it because he wanted to make sure that he could fit into his dress uniform for the award ceremony. <laughs> right, right. 
<laughs> now, they knew they, they weren't going to get anything on Richard as far as forensics went. And the hearsay testimony of Danny Deppner's ex-wife wouldn't hold up for a second in court. So Pat Kane got the idea to use bait to lure out the monster. Ooh. That bait came in the form of an undercover cop named Dominic Palafrone. Palafrone was a classic undercover cop, the kind who thought being a criminal meant saying fuck every other word. Just like in Robert Picton. Yeah. It's the yes. same thing, but the guy, they said a thing, and it's really true, because Dominic Palafrone, he looked sort of like, he looked like John Travolta with AIDS. <laughs> He was very sickly, he had a very thick mustache. He was always dressed in his like mob street clothes because he had been undercover for too long. And if you listen to his, every time he speaks, he's like, this fucking guy went out and he said, oh, that fuck, that fuck was trying to fuck with me. And you got to make sure if you're going to fuck with me, you're fucking with the fuck master. And I'm the fuck master because that's what they called me. I went to fuck master school and I got a fuck master's degree and an MFA, which is a master's fucking degree. Wow. Well, I believe that he's a criminal. Yeah, but he was, but he was actually really good at it. They said he was a fantastic actor. He could just inhabit the character completely. And he was an ATF agent. And Kane pulled him into the case by telling him that Kuklinski was an arms dealer, which he was. Okay. The only thing they had to figure out was how to get Polifrone close to Kuklinski. Hmm. And that missing piece ended up being the only friend Richard didn't murder, Phil Solomani. Ah, they sent Percy House to the store wearing a wire, and he got Phil's son to admit to a burglary in which an old man had been beaten to death. This is where it gets true crime complicated, folks, so keep your true crime listening muffs on. Wow. <laughs> then Phil himself spilled some illegal shit to the wire as well, so Kane, using both the murder and Phil's own foibles as a carrot, got Phil to bring Dominique Palafrone into the crew as Dominique Provenzano. Okay. Change the first name, too, though. <laughs> yeah. Is it just so that he would turn around when he heard Dominique? <laughs> I, I guess so. That, that was the only thing I could think of as well. That's pretty <laughs> smart. That's smart. The name works. Because it wouldn't just be like, Polly, Polly, we're going to go do this murder together. Hey, Polly, what do you do? Polly, and then Dom- Dominic is still just at the jukebox, <laughs> just dancing to fucking sticks. The Polly, Polly, is that Dominic? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, their plan was to convince Richard that Dom had been a buddy of Phil's for twenty years, and he'd just been like out of town this entire time. Just an out of town friend, and now he's back. Wow, he's from Canada. <laughs> okay, yeah, this is my buddy from. Canada, you know the Canadian mafia. <laughs> this is Paulie Dom Dom Dominuk. This is Dominic. Yeah, I've known him my whole life. Yeah, he fucking knew me. I'm from fucking Toronto. <laughs> fucking Toronto's the fucking shit. Every day of your life, you got your fucking ass to the grind. Uh, fucking Toronto. Oh yeah, eating that poutine. <gasps> the plan was Dom would gain Richard's trust, and they'd eventually get him to either admit to or do something stupid. Hmm. And in time, Richard would do both. All right. Once Dom was introduced to Richard under the claim that Dom could get Richard some hand grenades, the two (laughs) began a 19-month-long game of cat and mouse. All right. Of course, Pat Kane would do his part as well. After nothing really happened with Dom at first, Kane went to Richard's house to turn up the heat, and he started asking questions about Maskey, Maliban, Hoffman, Smith, Deppner, and... 
DeMeo. Uh-oh. Because one of DeMeo's guys had started talking and had started to say, hey, you guys need to hear about this Richard Kuklinski fella. In other words, everybody was talking now. That's not good. These mafia guys are so full of shit. Their their loyalty and their omerta and all this kind of bullshit, they always fold. It's like a lawn chair factory in New Jersey. (laughs) Yep. Now, by this time, all of these murders were years in the past. But just the fact that Kane was showing up and asking questions was enough for Richard to decide that he had to go. But Richard knew that if the cop investigating him suddenly turned up with a hole in his head, there was no way Richard wasn't going to go down for it. Right. So he needed to make it look like anything but a murder. And for that, he needed cyanide. Problem was, he'd murdered his only cyanide hookup for $25,000 a couple years before. And he was fresh out. Shouldn't have done that. Probably shouldn't have done that. Probably shouldn't have done that. Thank you, Kissel. You're (laughs) right. (laughs) It's crazy. And so Richard asked Phil, and Phil took the opportunity to reintroduce his old buddy, Dominique Provenzano, for the hookup. Okay. See, you got your true crime? I you got your true. You think you think it, right? This is like killed this, a cyanide guy, and now we got a fake cyanide guy who's an undercover cop. Yeah. This is where we're deep into the mob investigation shit, which is all this, which is why it's very difficult to prosecute these guys, because right. you have to put all of these bullshit parts together in order to get at them. Yeah, he killed his cyanide guy, mm-hmm. and so... He had to get cyanide from an undercover cop so he could kill the actual cop that he was investigating. But the funny thing was is that the undercover cop nor the cop investigating him knew that Richard Kuklinski was getting the cyanide to kill the actual cop. Yep, and just cut to a Gambino crime family member eating out of his soup bowl hat, <laughs> just watching the whole thing go down. I had this idea. What if we take soup and put it in like a bowl? Made out of bread. <laughs> then you can eat the bowl too, instead Ooh. of me just sucking on my head, trying to get all the soup that's all absorbed into it. I just cut him wearing the wearing the bread bowl as a hat. <laughs> uh, you'd think they're like I like it because all the pigeons come and they surround me, and it's like I have friends. And it's nice because you're never alone. But the other problem is I keep sweating into the hat, and then it falls apart, and all of a sudden I just got bread on my shoulders. Everyone's just like, oh, who's this guy with the East Andruff? I'm like, quit making fun of me. (laughs) It's the dumbest thing we've ever done. (laughs) You'd think that Richard would have smelled this guy from a mile away. Right. But honestly, it seems like the thing that distracted Richard the most was the big, black, ugly as fuck wig that Dom wore at all times. It was just sliding back and forth. And it was going, this fucking wig. Nobody builds fucking mesh anymore like they used to. used to make mesh fucking nice that would stick to your fucking skull. But this wig's fucking slapping back and forth. And this wasn't an undercover tactic either. This is, I like this. No, this wasn't a disguise. No, just this wore- is just his thing. Because Richard said uh, that when Dominique Provenzano showed up in the trial, he was still wearing the wig. And he's I like, love why it. the fuck is this guy still wearing that goddamn wig? <laughs> That's like, it looked, honestly, like a fucking, it looked like a fucking 
raccoon went and died on his head. That's <laughs> incredible. That's there, there was something to that. That's what Sasha Baron Cohen is doing so well at Who is America? Yeah. Great series, by the way. He just looks yes, so weird. Is. You got to stare at him, but you don't want to be rude and be like, what is wrong with your face? The whole thing. It's a good technique. Yeah. So he's slapping the wig back and forth. He keeps dropping it off his fucking head. It's like, but honestly, it's a really smart thing to do. It's kind of like when you go into a robbery and you wear like a ridiculous mask or something. So people are just focused on that mm-hmm. instead of everything else being wrong about you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And who knows if it was an actual misdirection tactic or not. But in retelling the story, like Richard just seems obsessed with this goddamn wig. <laughs> okay, I, I get it. Because it's the kind of wig where he'd, he'd be sweating and he'd take it off just to like wipe the sweat <laughs> off of his head and put it back on. <laughs> so Dom showed up to the meeting and said he'd be happy to help out with the cyanide, but there was this other score that he figured Richard might want in on. Because mm. see, buying cyanide or asking for cyanide wasn't illegal, so they needed something more. Really? Yeah. Buying cyanide wasn't illegal? No, cyanide is not no. illegal. It, well, it, it is rats. now, isn't it? No. You can no, still you, buy cyanide. You'd use it to kill, oh, I su- yeah, you'd use it to kill rats and pests and stuff oh, like that. Oh, yeah. Right, right, okay. And people. Yeah, and people. I guess so, yeah. Who may have been rats. Paycheck, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, Dom said that he'd been supplying cocaine to this shitty Jewish rich kid, and he'd gotten tired of him. Hmm. He said, I don't know why he kept every single time always said, yeah, this Jewish kid, this Jewish kid. We got to kill this Jewish kid. Huh. Maybe maybe it was a plane on Kuklinski. Maybe he didn't like uh, Jewish people. Is that possible? No, Kuklinski was no. fine with everyone. That's what he says. But then he killed so many people. <laughs> yeah. Now, he said that he'd been thinking about killing the kid and taking the money. But hmm. he didn't know how until Richard told him about the cyanide he's like okay now that you got the cyanide thing now i know how to kill this kid so we should do this job together okay and richard said sure of course why not and in that moment richard thought fuck it i'll just kill both of these assholes and take the money uh. Yeah. and since richard figured he was going to kill dom anyway he didn't really need to watch his mouth this is actual audio from The Wire Dom was wearing at one of their meetups after Dom had asked Richard to further explain the spray. You put that stuff in a mist, you spray it in somebody's face, and they go to sleep. No shit. As long as he's dead, that's the bottom line. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? No matter how it was done, I mean, I know guys that went to sleep and never woke up again. I mean, you know. <laughs> he laughs like Dick Cheney. <laughs> That is like over the worst, the worst part of any sentence. Like that's the funny part. Well, you know what it is. I really wonder because I don't know. If, I don't think Richard's dumb. I think what we are saying is correct. Is that he did it because he knew he was just about to murder him, and it was like a joke to Richard Kuklinski to tell him how he kills people. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. that wasn't even the half of it. Like Richard, like would just jaw on and on about all of his various deeds and techniques mm-hmm. every time they met, and did it all with the ease of like an old man on a porch telling a young kid like what's what i'm surprised this guy was able to get away with wearing the wire this was what this is the 70s this is uh 84 85 80, i mean there's pretty it's pretty big clunky stuff there isn't it i mean oh, i was secret wearing wires system. back yeah. then yeah, yeah, yeah. you gotta pat him oh, down yeah. <laughs> why didn't kuklinski pat him down okay, he didn't get because he didn't s- s- suspect a thing because he trusted phil solomene oh. and phil solomene had vouched for the guy okay now when richard agreed to kill the cocaine kid they had him on conspiracy to commit murder, at least. But they wanted Richard to go down forever. 
And so a gigantic operation was created to set up the Jewish kid scenario in real life. The plan was to get Richard to attempt to kill the kid with cyanide spray, arrest him on the attempted murder, then use all that as proof to take him down in the other murders he was suspected of. So just the kid was like, why are you spraying me with banaka? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he just ate it. It's like, oh, thank you. So Dom got a hold of Richard and said the cyanide was on the way. And just as soon as it came, they could set up a buy and Richard could spray the kid and it'd all be fine. Hmm. Problem was... The spray took a few days to prepare. So Dom, who'd spent almost two years hanging out with all the assholes at Phil Solomene's store trying to get Richard on the hook, he improvised and suggested they use egg sandwiches. Egg sandwiches? <laughs> yeah, egg sandwiches. Yeah, yeah. yeah everybody so fucking likes egg sandwiches. Yeah, I look at The amount of food involved in this story is quite surprising. Oh, yeah, man. In a split second, Dom created, look, this whole backstory for this fictional kid who loved egg sandwiches, was always eating egg sandwiches. This is what he said. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, it'll be an egg sandwich. Every time I meet this kid, he orders an egg sandwich. I mean, we'll get him an egg sandwich, because that's all he does. He hates chickens, right? The thing about chickens is that you remind him of the fact the eggs are, are chickens' babies, so we can't even look at a chicken. So make sure that we don't take him to any chicken restaurants because he, he gets sick. He, he doesn't hunger anymore. But eggs, oh man, he loves eggs. He can't. Right, I'll tell you what, you could even give him. You remember those snowballs, those hostess cakes? We could tell him it's an egg. We tell him it's an egg. He doesn't know the difference. He's never seen an egg that's not cooked. So we give him wow. one of those and tell him it's what actually eggs look like before they're cooked. You know? Of course, the only Polish uh, contract killer alive. It's all sandwiches for this guy. And then when Richard asked if they even sold egg sandwiches, Sandwiches at the place where the buy was supposed to go down. Dom said, "I'll just bring some fucking egg sandwiches. Don't worry about the egg sandwiches. I'll bring them in. What is happening? Because he's like, yeah, you put an egg sandwich in front of this kid. He's going to eat an egg sandwich. I don't know if he's going to eat anything else, but I know he loves egg sandwiches. So I know he's going to eat an egg sandwich. So but I'm going to bring a couple of egg sandwiches. This whole thing could have been spoiled by a waitress doing her job. Be like, get out of here. We don't serve egg sandwiches. Because you know what? Then it would be him ordering it in front of Richie, and she's like, we don't serve egg sandwiches. She's like, you mean tell me you don't got eggs back there? You you tell me you got fucking bread down there? You go there and you get that fucking bread and you get those fucking eggs and you make an egg sandwich. <laughs> wow. All right. And of course, egg sandwiches and cyanide. Ooh. And now I'm thinking about the Fraser uh, intro. You don't know what to do about tossed salad and scrambled eggs? Oh. <laughs> I don't know what to do about them. I would love to if, if he had, if Dominic was watching Fraser. <laughs> yes. Also, <laughs> Fraser. Frazier could play Kuklinski. He's a he's a big guy. That would be a oh. great role. Hmm. And he's troubled. <laughs> he is troubled. Love him. Love Kelsey. So the day finally came on December 17th, 1986. Richard drove to the agreed-upon location, which was the Vince Lombardi rest stop where the Chinatown buses always stop on the way south. Hey, all Remember, right. we've stopped at that Vince Lombardi stop. Remember that? We that, had to. That trip we took down to Washington, D.C. where the crazy woman was talking to herself in the entire four hours? Yep, I know. Kellyanne Conway. We ran right into her there. <laughs> I uh, got her. Listen, what is this? Oh. Well, I will take my money, guys. I gotta go. Um, is this Samantha B? Are we on Samantha B right now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Don't say anything too objectionable. Okay. <laughs> Don't want to have to apologize. <laughs> My goodness. Vince Lombardi. The Vince Lombardi the, rest stop. Okay. 
So with a whole host of police officers watching, Dom and Richard met in the parking lot, where mm. Dom handed him the egg sandwiches with one hand and the cyanide with the other, making sure to say, here's the cyanide! Loud enough for the wire to pick up the word. How many uh, Packers fans do you think were doing out-of-marriage hookups <laughs> at the Vince Lombardi rest area at this time and thinking <laughs> the cops were there for them? I don't know. Why is the Vince Lombardi rest stop in New Jersey? He's international. He's national, international. Uh, he's yeah, global. He's, 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 out, he's very well known. All right. Well, Richard then got back into his car and drove down the road to prepare the sandwiches, as he always did. Hmm. But the powder didn't look like cyanide and it didn't have the bitter almond scent of cyanide so richard bought a burger poured a bit of the powder on the bun and fed it to a dog and when the dog just gobbled it up and went on his merry way richard knew that dom was full of shit oh my gosh however it never occurred to richard once that the whole thing was a setup by the cops he thought that dom was just in richard's words just another jive-ass blowhard. <laughs> yep. Oh, wow. He was, though. He went he there. Was. He still was. <laughs> he went there. Wow. And so Richard just went home. But the cops had been smart, and they'd staked out his house, too. So when he showed up, and it was obvious he wasn't going to be going back to the rest stop, the dragnet raced to Richard's house. And he took a really long time because Richard, whenever he drove places, he knew that he was constantly always, he was always afraid of being tailed. So he'd stop, he'd turn around, he'd watch cars. So it's like, it's like when you're walking the dog and you're trying to go of 10 minutes, a couple of blocks, but it's like 15 minutes just right. to go one fucking step. Are you saying that our dogs are all worried about being trailed? Are our dogs murdering people? I'm never eating it. If Puffin makes me an egg sandwich, I ain't gonna eat it. Georgie. Yeah. Oh, Georgie's, Georgie's a silent assassin. <laughs> Georgie is very much a silent yeah. assassin. So when Richard got home, he found that Barbara was sick. She'd been coming down with something. So Richard said, like, come on, I'll take you to the doctor. So they got in the car and they started driving, but they didn't get half a block before they were surrounded. Now, Richard's plan, if he ever got caught, had always been suicide by cop. Hell yeah. But, <laughs> Ooh, yikes. But Barbara was sitting right next to him. So the gun stayed under the seat, and the Iceman was finally arrested. All right. Yeah, dude. It took three dudes to take him down. He was screaming, I'll kill you motherfuckers. I'll kill you as they're grabbing him and they're dragging him in. Barbara's screaming. It was quite a Long Island sight. They had to put leg irons on his arms because the handcuffs weren't big enough. Really? Yeah. Strong. He's like Bane. Wow. Yeah. I I could see him going out like like the... uh, Evil doers in the Devil's Rejects. Yeah, I could see him going. That was the Firefly family. The Firefly just family, shooting yeah, a yeah. bunch of folks. Yeah, I guess not though. So Richard ended up going down for the murders of Danny Deppner and Gary Smith. But since there were no no eyewitnesses, the jury gave him life in prison instead of the chair. And as loath as Richard was to accept it at the time, he seemed to kind of love prison. Well, this is yeah. where he would be a king, right? Yeah, because the documentaries well, yeah. gave him notoriety. Like, he was famous. Yeah, and he got a lot of respect. And honestly, it calmed him down. Because the big thing that's like, uh, that, which is uh, 
a lot of people say that's the reason why he lied on the documentaries to get more respect in prison, but he was also was a huge man and he was connected to the mob. So I don't think he needed to necessarily lie. I think that people knew that he was a contract killer, especially when you have multiple kills under your belt. People normally treat you like with a little bit of like weird prison respect. Yeah. yeah. And then they also got him on Adivan and Paxil. Yeah. Super chilled him out. Yeah, really. After after he got on Adivan and Paxil, uh, he said, and this is a real quote. He said, "I'd rather be known as the nice man, not the ice man." <laughs> well, now what the hell? Now what the hell is happening here now? That's uh, that's strange. You put the, huh? But all right. After 18 years in prison in 2005. Richard came down with a rare incurable illness called Kawasaki disease. Really? The weirdest thing about this is that it usually only affects Japanese children. That is hmm. just very bizarre. However, its symptoms are akin to mercury poisoning. Oh. And Richard was about to testify against one of his old supposed clients about a cop that Richard said he'd killed. And that Tuesday was Egg Sandwich Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Richard was about to lock horns with Sammy the Bull Gravano. Really? Who's so, another incredible figure that when we get to year 15 of the podcast that we will cover. So wouldn't you know it, Richard died from a cardiac arrest five months after being diagnosed with Kawasaki. He had tried to rescind a do not resuscitate order, but when the prison called up Barbara for authorization, mm -hmm. she refused and possibly got just a little bit of revenge against the monster that was the Iceman. Wow. All right. Yeah, dude. Crazy story, everyone. Thank you all so much. Great, great job, guys. Uh, powerful stuff. Oh, yeah. Iceman Richard Kuklinski. Um, my goodness. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin came up with his name while watching the documentary. So there was something good that came Is from Is that it. what Stone Cold said? That's what Stone Cold said. Did he say so? He did say That's so. That's what Stone Cold said. He did say what? so. Oh, then you know goodness. that it's true. Oh, right. Wow. Awesome stuff. Man, it is It is pretty incredible. It's a it's a crazy story. I think that we poked holes in what needed to get poked holes in. Yes. I think that you look at uh, his. I mean, I think the last podcast in the left number. I think it was Marcus and I were talking about this yesterday. I think we would put him on fifty to a hundred murders somewhere on there. Fifty to seventy five. I'd actually probably say. 50 to 75, I'd say that in terms of wholesale murder, we know for a fact that he killed at least 12. That we know for a fact. Um, but I know for, that there are many probably lumped in there. I don't know if we believe in a lot of his international travel. But he did something to, to afford the lifestyle that they had. Yeah. So th there, there was money coming in. Yeah. yeah. Well, You're 50 to 75, that's enough. <laughs> I'm coining right. it. I'm coining You're it. You're right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. enough. That's enough. <laughs> wow. Well, indeed. Um, awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Let's see. What do we have to say to everyone? We have to talk. We're, we're going to be in Phoenix on Friday. We're going to be in Phoenix that? on Friday. And we're going to be in Santa Ana on uh, Saturday. So if you're in the yep. Los Angeles area, you can drive on down to uh, Orange County and see us perform this Saturday. That is what, August 18th? Yeah, August 18th. Y'all come out. Honestly, we got some tickets still left. 
it's going to be a fun ass show because it's going to be a, a smaller show. Yeah. So we're going to be out there get, getting weird and LBC. It's going to be fun, man. Come check yep. it out. And I can't wait to go to Phoenix. Uh, there's a uh, Henry. We were talking on side stories. There's a Haboob. Which is a which is a dust storm. I know. I, I uh, there's yeah. there's many haboobs. Yeah, yeah, Lubbock is full. I went to college in a haboob heavy town. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lubbock's nothing but haboob. Heavy haboob. And then sometimes <laughs> the haboob would come in from the east, and the rain would come in from the west, and then it would rain mud. Oh, oh that's yeah, very haboob. Uh, uh, very uh, post apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah. Very. I like. You know, it. I heard about the heavy haboobs is that they really hurt your back. All right, there we are. <laughs> it's been it's been a long show. Uh, it's been a long episode. Yes. So, is there anything else that we want to say to anybody? Any everything you want to get off your chest? Thank Henry, you, everyone, you know? for giving to our Patreon. Yes, if you'd like to get to our Patreon, go to Patreon.com/slash Last Podcast on the Left. Uh, as we said at the end of last episode, uh, unfortunately, we're no longer with Stitcher Premium. So, if you want ad-free episodes. Uh, Patreon is now like the only place that you can get them. Uh, yep. So uh, yeah, if you go to patreon.com slash last podcast on the left. Please keep giving to the Patreon so I don't have to resort to contract killing. I know because you're not going to get the contract. Good at it. Look, look at my action with this butter knife. How fast yeah, I'm this looking is. At, look at this. Yeah, but it's... Huh? It is pretty fast. <laughs> Fastest game within 10 feet. Um, this week on the for the Patreon interview series, uh, we interviewed this guy who wrote a book about Krampus, so it's a lot of fun. There's a lot to it, Marcus. I know there Krampus is. Krampus and St. Nicholas, they're friends. Did he talk about Black Pete? No. But we will talk about that uh, when we are going to have him. We were talking about having him back on around Christmas time. Yes. Nice. Um, all right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We love you. Hail yourselves. Wait, wait, follow Last Podcast on the left on everything at LP on the left if that's what you want. Follow us on Instagram if that's what you want. Uh, but don't if you don't want to. Right. So don't. There or do. <laughs> or don't or do. Do or don't. Do you have multiple options? Basically, the only two options that are real in life. That's right. Do or don't. Yes. We always say do if it's something positive. Don't if it's something negative. Yeah, huh? Uh, Very good. <laughs> that's enough. All right. We'll see. Hail yourselves, everyone. Hail Satan. Hail Gene. Hail me. Magustalations. Tip your tip your dealer. Yeah, and, and sniff your sandwiches, I guess. So <laughs> yeah, no, make sure there's no cyanide in it. It's just going to go up your nose. You're going to inhale it, and you're going to die anyway. Uh, I don't know. Don't take sandwiches. Don't take sandwiches from anyone. Yeah. I don't know, man. I like taking sandwiches. Just have a, your least favorite friend lick it first. 